Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The Ben Jarofsky Show starts now. It is Thursday, May 9th. And live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, we welcome former Illinois Senator Ricky Hendon and Sharice Williams. And now your host, <laughs> what's so funny, Chicago Reader columnist, Benny J. Benjarovsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. Uh, we're calling this Dude, sure what's so funny. Ricky's not coming today. Ricky's not coming today? No, 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 but it's all Did good. Did he just text you that? Yeah. It's all good. It's all behind-the-scenes stuff, folks, that you're getting to see on the Ben Jarofsky show. Anyway. We're calling this Do Something About It Thursday, and here's why. Story in today's Sun-Times. Seems like we're up to our old nepotistic tricks here in the city of Chicago. Nepotistic. Oh, man. Is that even a word? I don't know. I don't think it's a word. I went to community college. Hey, excuse me, man. I was up real late last night with the friends watching basketball, so my brain's moving kind of slow today. Anyway... The word I'm looking for is nepotism, as in one politician anointing his next of kin as our alderman or governor or attorney general, or, well, you get the idea. Or as D, the young rappers from your days would say, stunting like my daddy. Okay, that's one of your favorite songs from the 90s, isn't it? Stunting like my daddy? (laughs) Have you ever heard of it before? It's a song from the O's. It's a rap song. Come on, D, get hip, all right? Rap, all right? With music, it was popular. It's still popular. Uh, I don't know. I'm Stunting like my daddy. That. I think I'd know that if it were popular. Stunting like my daddy. <laughs> There's a song. Look it up. Anyway, we have a long tradition in Illinois of sons and daughters stunting like their daddies. <laughs> Let me just run down a few, few of the examples, all right? Mayor Daly begat baby mayor daily and he tried to begat baby baby mayor daily but the voters had another idea as they voted william daily out in the runoff or the first round of the recent uh, election uh the original mayor daily would be richard j daily baby daily would be richard m daily so ba- daddy daily begat mayor daily alderman mel begat son-in-law governor Bogoyevich, and then he begat daughter-in-law deb mel remember that she just got begat right out of office. Uh, House Speaker Mike Madigan, he begat Attorney General Lisa Madigan, and so on and so forth. The latest begat tea, if that's a word. I love this word, begat. 
But guys, is Bugatti a word? I'm not sure. But one more time, folks. I was up very late last night. That game went to one in the morning. Watch the game, D. I watched the highlights. Okay, the highlights were good too. The game came down it was the Warriors versus the Rockets. I was rooting for the Rockets. The Warriors won. They always win. Anyway, back to begatting. Our latest example is Alderman Walter Burnett at the 27th Ward supporting his son, his stepson, Omar Williams, to fill a vacancy in the 10th Legislative District. State Representative Melissa Conyers Urban is stepping down. She's stepping down because the citizens of Chicago just elected her as their treasurer, all right? She replaced Kurt Summers as treasurer. Kurt Summer was the grandson of Sam Patch, one of the great political strategists of the 60s and 70s. So there's kind of sort of a little begatting there, all right? Uh, Melissa Conyers Evers is the wife of 28th Ward Alderman Jason Urban, all right? Very good. Jason Urban, Melissa Conyers Urban is the wife of Jason Urban. So you see, there's a great tradition in the city of Chicago of nepotism. People, daddies handing things off to their daughters or their sons or their stepsons or their wives or their husbands, et cetera, et cetera, and so forth. Now, I have mixed feelings about this great tradition of handing things off to relatives. Um, that proverbial flag in the windy, blowing one way and the other way. On the one hand, the libertarian me would like to believe that life is a meritocracy and that you have to achieve to get to the next step you have to beat everybody in a legitimate competition nobody has an advantage we all start at the same starting point and we all run the same race well we all know folks that that is an illusion that life is not a meritocracy that some people start further ahead in the 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 race than others some people never get a fair chance to even run in the race life can be very unfair it generally usually is most of us need a help most of us need assistance most of us need a handout nobody got anywhere by him or herself oh by the way ben can i borrow ten (laughs) dollars just reminded me oh yeah i'm gonna venmo it to you cool uh so anyway, so there, yeah, there's, there's, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like, hmm, it's, we're fooling ourselves when we think that uh, life is just a complete meritocracy. And then there's also the issue of, you know, maybe politicians learn from their fathers or maybe politicians learn from their uncles. You know, there's such a thing as, you know, passing on a tradition. The apple doesn't fall far from the treeism which I'm not quite sure is a word either. I just made that one up too. Not a word. Alderman Burnett in this case. Walter Burnett has been the alderman of the 27th Ward since I want to say, don't hold me to this one, D. I want to say about 1995, okay? That's a long time, all right? That's over 20 years if I do my math correct. Nice. All right. (laughs) So, you know, he may have learned a thing or two in those 20-odd years that he passed on uh, to his stepson, Omar Williams, uh, in which case, you know, Omar Williams uh, could do a great job. Who knows? Point is this, folks. As much as I don't think seats in the state house should be passed on to children like Bears season tickets in a will you have a say in this you know it's not like you're just don't get to participate you don't like your alderman you don't like your state rep for that matter if you don't like your mayor vote him or her out it's a democracy people act like it and participate. 
We got a great show today, everybody. Sharice Williams will be here from the Chicago Federation of Labor. We're talking politics, politics, politics. And I'm really looking forward to this, D. John Bauman from the Sergeant Schreiber National Center on Poverty Law. He'll be here about 2.30 to talk the fair tax. This fellow knows more about the fair tax, the proposed progressive income tax uh, by Pritzker, than anyone in the state of Illinois. And we are going to have a lot of fun going point by point. We're going to talk about this. Uh, you and I will be talking about this in what uh, in the news segment, uh, the anti-fair tax people, the anti-progressive tax people, the people who want to keep the, the tax system at a flat 4.95% rate. So no matter how much you make, you pay the same at the same rate. You think that's fair? That's that's your opinion. Uh, they have issued, these. the opponents of the fair tax have issued a lengthy letter uh, taking apart the fair tax every from every uh, every point of opposition they have to it. So we're going to run down uh, John the, that letter with John Bowman, see what he has to say in defense of the fair tax. As I was saying, it's a democracy, people, and you get to decide. So some of the issues we'll be talking about. But before we do any of that, we're going to have the national news with Dr. D. Hey, everybody. I'm Dennis. Well, I wish my family had passed something <laughs> awesome on to me. I just got some dirty pocket knife from my Uncle Eldon. That's it. Hey, that's something. Wow, Uncle Eldon, you know, he took care of you. Now, little Denny, I need you to take care of this pocket knife. <laughs> uncle Eldon. I remember Uncle Eldon. Yeah. What, what was my Uncle Eldon's? uncle. What's his wife's name? Cindy. Well, well they're divorced now. <laughs> Aunt Cindy. Aunt Cindy. I remember yeah. her. We used to talk about her all the time back in the good old days. It's going to be an interesting day today, ladies and gentlemen. Ben, uh, so Ricky Hendon's not our guest today? Where did I get that from? I don't know. <laughs> Apparently you were up late last night, too. <clears throat> Ricky Hendon is our bonus guest. Ah. ah. I thought he was our scheduled guest. No, no, he's our bonus guest. Okay, ah. folks. I uh, love Ricky Hendon dearly, but he's our bonus guest. So, yeah, Ricky Hendon will not be in ah. the studio between now and three. Oh, okay. Lord. Yeah. Well, my apologies to our actual <laughs> guest today. Yeah, that's okay. John like... Bowman is an excellent guest, and you will love him dearly, all right? John John, please still come if you're listening, okay? Bowman's mad. Hey, you didn't give me the announcement. I don't blame him. All right, let's unpack the national news happening Mm -hmm. this afternoon. Nothing new here. Donald Trump did something stupid at one of his rallies. Oh, what now? Really shouldn't shock people anymore. Our president laughed and the crowd cheered when an audience member at his Florida rally last night said the best way to deal with migrants was to shoot them. Anything you'd like to say, Ben, before we immediately move on I from that? I did not know that. Yeah. That is really twisted, sick stuff. 2016 election happening all over what, again. What happened? Read that one, one more time. That, I've been busy writing stories and reading stories. I missed that Our one. Our president laughed and the crowd cheered when an audience member at his Florida rally said the best way to deal with migrants was to shoot them. Oh, my goodness. Wow. You know, uh, are, is there no decency? Uh, Donald Trump, uh, the bar gets lower and lower every day. I did not know that. Uh, there's, you know, Trump fires peoples up and, and exploits their fears, exploits their prejudice, exploits their biases, thinks it's a joke. And then he laughs when someone says that. And there's been so much gunfire. There's so much shooting, so much uh, murders going on uh, by people who espouse some of these same views. Uh, that's, that's really uh, disgusting is about all I can say. When did that happen? This morning. Um, well, that happened at the rally last yeah, night, but this yeah, morning. The, the morning news. story broke. Yeah, yeah. All right, another news nationally. Democratic House Speaker and owner of Ben Jarofsky's heart, Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> if you're uh, new yeah, to the program, yeah. maybe it's first time listening. My God, Ben Jarofsky loves this woman. <laughs> 
I think I'll ask Sharice Williams what she thinks of Nate. I'm writing that down. Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi. Go Pelosi ahead. says she believes the United States is in a constitutional crisis. When asked if she agrees with Representative Jerry Nadler's assertion that the U.S. is facing a constitutional crisis, Pelosi said, quote, yeah, I do agree, she told reporters. The administration has declined that they're not going to honor their oath of office. Mm. While I uh, agree with Nancy Pelosi, I do believe this is a constitutional crisis. And, you know, this is something we talk about with uh, a lot of our guests. Uh, many of them are experts in following this closely. Uh, uh, T. Booby Cannon, Monroe Anderson, Jim Coogan, who are closely following the, the, the developing investigations uh, into Donald Trump's dealings uh, with the Russians and to his uh, obstructing justice into the investigations of Donald Trump's dealings with the Russians, and it's his attempt to uh, chain, divert attention by talking about an investigation into the investigation. So this is all very important uh, from a constitutional standpoint. Uh, and you know, and then we also have guests who come on the show D uh, of the sort of the far leftist persuasion who think it's a waste of time, who say uh, they don't even know why the Democrats are raising this as an issue. I completely disagree with them on that point. Um, though of course I respect her right to say it. I do think this uh, this warrants investigation, and I do believe that the Democrats should attempt to hold Donald Trump uh, responsible for obstructing justice. It's pretty clear to anybody who read the Mueller report, or who at least read news accounts of the Mueller report, that's exactly what Donald Trump uh, was doing from the moment uh, he got into office. And uh, so he, the fact that he's now doubling down by withholding um, uh information from uh, House uh, Democrats in the House who are seeking it by with keeping William Barr from testifying and uh, Donald McCann from testifying. This is a constitutional showdown. This is an exercise of whether the, the, the executive, the president could just snub his nose at the legislative branch. I can't recall any Democrat doing anything remotely like this. And I can tell you this, if the roles were reversed, the Republicans would be raising holy hell. So, you know, I think if you're going to have a principled uh, principled attitude and philosophy about the division between the executive and the legislative branch. You should be on the side of the, the legislators who are trying to compel Donald Trump to turn over evidence. All right, moving on. And Ben, no, I will not go to your Pelosi party this weekend. <laughs> Did you have that lunchbox, that Nancy Pelosi lunchbox? I threw it out. All right, we have I a really like Nancy Pelosi. Did I tell you that? I know. You love the lady. Good <laughs> yeah. Lord. We have a 2020 POTUS candidate update here. All right. Uh, quite a few of them. Hey, here's a name you don't hear too often these days. Beto O'Rourke. Oh, yeah. yeah remember him? him? Yeah. Guy, guy from Texas running yeah. for president? Where's my cheat sheet? Ah, my Seems cheat like his sheet. campaign has lost some steam since his candidacy announcement. And mm -hmm. Ben, believe it or not, the folks over at the Beto O'Rourke campaign headquarters asked themselves that one question they seem to always and only ask themselves, what would Obama do? <laughs> Better Works campaign uh, has hired Jeff Berman, uh -huh. the Democratic lawyer who played a central role in Barack Obama's presidential campaign. Berman is the country's leading expert on delegate selection rules, and he also played a role in Hillary Clinton's 2016 campaign. All right, now there is so much to unpack here. Let's take a little time to unpack it. Stephen Smith was on the show this weekend. You can hear uh, it. You can download, but not now. All right, listen to this show, but uh, and not that guy from ESPN. Uh, no, not, I like that. I like both Stephen Stephen like, A. Smith. Yeah, I like Stephen A. Smith a lot. He's very. Uh, I like him. He's very entertaining. Anyway, Stephen Smith, a, a candidate for governor in West Virginia. We we're talking about this. Uh, Beto O'Rourke is emulating Barack Obama, as is Mayor Pete from South Bend. And what they're doing is they're creating narratives uh, around a personality. 
It's not so much as they're presenting ideas or they're presenting policy papers or they're presenting a great history and tradition uh, that voters can look back and say, oh, this person has done X, Y, Z. Like Elizabeth Warren has a long record of standing up for what she believes in for, for her entire career. Bernie Sanders, the same way. You go back to the 70s, Bernie Sanders as you know a, uh, an activist in Vermont and then uh, in the 80s as a mayor of Burlington and then as a congressman and then as a senator. He, he has a long tradition of what of standing up for what he did. believes in Kamala Harris, even to a lesser degree. But she, you know, she was uh, the attorney general of the state of California. These people have positions. They have legacies. Uh, they have a, like a lifetime of experience. What Barack Obama did in 2008 and he was successful at doing is just sort of creating this persona. It's like a, a, a character narrative, character-driven narrative that people bought into. They they wanted to believe in the image of Barack Obama as this man of hope, uh, as this man of this conciliator, this guy who uh, had like sort of a foot in Black America and a foot in White America, and was somehow bringing us all together. We didn't know what really Barack Obama stood for from a legislative standpoint, from an ideological standpoint. Uh, he didn't have a great track record. In fact, his track record seemed to evolve. If you recall, in 1995, when he first ran for a state senator down in Hyde Park, he was for gay marriage. Then all of a sudden, when he was running statewide uh, for U.S. senator, he was against gay marriage. And then when it was really safe, because uh, he was not going to run for office again, it was 2012, or he had just won re-election, all of a sudden, he found his 1995 self, and he was for gay marriage. So it was like a carefully constructed uh, persona that was intended not to offend any particular group and sort of be everything to all people. It was like a cult of personality that they encouraged. Listen, I fell in line. I got to, I voted for Obama every time he was on the ballot. So I'm not saying I'm above it all, but I understand what they were doing. And to a certain degree, Beto O'Rourke is trying to do the same thing. The man has no great record to run on. And in fact, uh, he has some conservative positions that would alienate uh, folks in the Democratic Party. But he wants people to believe in him as this sort of like great, almost celebrity. And so it's like the celebrity as a politician. Uh, Donald Trump, it was very successful for him, obviously. That's how he got elected. Uh, well, that's how he got the Republican nomination back in 2016. That's how he got elected uh, President of the United States. So to uh, a certain degree, Beto O'Rourke and Mayor Pete are trying to emulate what Obama did. I don't know, D, if it's going to work in this day and age. Did not work for Beto O'Rourke when he was running for uh, senator, that's for certain, oh, yeah. against Ted Cruz back in 2018. I, I, I feel as though... Um, the uh, uh, electorate has moved away from where they were back in 2008 when they were starry-eyed. Oh, we love you, Barack Obama. And uh, so I don't think it's going to work. It's, it's like a little, a little too late uh, for this party uh, in terms of what Beto O'Rourke is doing. So now what's he doing? He's going back. He's getting a strategist. He's going to try to figure out the nominating. This dude, Berman, apparently knows more about the rules and regulations of the nominating, uh, uh, you know, the nominating procedure. So that is somehow or other. <laughs> at this day and age, at this moment in the race, he's going to learn the ins and the outs of what, it, what you have to do to get the most delegates. All right, maybe. Uh, good luck with that one, Beto O'Rourke. But uh, I would have, you know what? I, th I wish the man should have run for senator again. I don't know why he's running for president. Okay, very close to beating Ted Cruz. Anyway, that's my thoughts on Beto O'Rourke. So O'Rourke again taking a page from the Barack Obama playbook. On to Barack Obama's 
former Vice President Joe Biden. Today, Jill Biden, Joe's wife, yeah, just verbally slapped all the other candidates running. <laughs> Jill Biden, putting the cart way before the horse here, said she would like to continue working as a teacher if her husband Joe wins the presidency. That's what's on her mind today. Here's a quote from Jill Biden. I would want to make sure that my students were safe, but boy, I would love to do it, Jill Biden said in an interview with MSNBC. It is my passion. It's what I love. So maybe we could figure out some way, she said. What would that say about the worth of a spouse, right? To be working. I mean, not that the... Okay, there's like 20 other candidates. <laughs> you got to get through that part first. Uh, well, all right. Let me just deal with uh, the, the point that she's making. Yes, you're right. Absolutely. She is putting the cart before the horse. She's sort of <laughs> assuming that Joe Biden has already not only won the Democratic nomination, but defeated Donald Trump. Yeah, once Joe beats all these other douchebags, <laughs> we're just going to move on and I'll still teach. Why even have an election? All right. Just anoint Joe as our next president. Hey, I would do it right now. All right. If I could do it, we kind of deal with the Republicans. Let's see. Well, how would I do this? I know. Um, uh, I, I guess. Well, how would I do it? I would. Um, I guess I would say, all right, Joe Biden. We'll let a Pence stay on as vice president if Joe Biden gets to be president. How about that? I cut a deal. Look all right. Uh, but anyway, yes, uh, your your point's well taken. Uh, it. Um, uh, Joe Biden has a long way to go before uh, he gets to be president. But I'm going to deal with the substance of what she's saying. Why does a first lady? have to have that ceremonial position of first lady. Why can't she just have a career? So Jill Biden is a teacher. I believe she teaches at uh, a community college level. I want to say I'm doing this off the top of my head. I think she's an English teacher. I want to say that. So uh, she's been an English teacher for many, many years. Why should she have to be like a character? That gets back to the narrative thing, like this pageantry we have. Like, it's not just we love Barack Obama, we love Michelle Obama. It's not that uh, we're obsessed with Donald Trump. We have to be obsessed with his wife and so on and so forth. Why, why this pageantry over the president? It's like the royal family. I always, I always feel kind of annoyed about it. Like, and then here's the other thing about uh, first ladies, D. You, can, like, it's, you can't say anything negative about them. You know, yeah, I hate the the president, but the first lady, I like the first lady. It's kind of this weird thing we have in America. You know, it's it's like we struggle to say something nice about Mayor Rahm, you know, and uh, you can't just criticize me. Guy, say something nice about Mayor Rahm. I like his wife. You know, so when you're struggling to say something nice about a president, what do you do? Although I really love Michelle. So it was funny. We were act- asking Mark Sims about that the other day when he was in the studio. And I was saying, you know, will uh, the fact that uh, Joe Biden is using Barack Obama in his commercials, will that convince people to vote for uh, Joe Biden as they remember the good old days? And he said, no, everybody's said, oh, no way. And I go, well, what about, you know, the thousands of people flocked to the United Center to buy uh, Michelle Obama's books, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that's Michelle Obama. They like her. <laughs> So we have this 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 bizarre schizophrenia, you know. Well, I don't like the president, but I really uh, like the first lady. Well, I used to hear that all the time during the daily years with Mayor Daly. I don't like Mayor Daly, but I love his wife. It's a weird thing. More 2020 candidate updates here. Massachusetts Senator and Democratic presidential candidate Elizabeth Warren appears on this week's cover of Time Magazine. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. The tagline on the cover. 
I have a plan for that. <laughs> Did they really say yeah, that? Yeah, that's what it says on the cover of the uh, Time magazine. Way better than what would Obama do, if you ask me. <laughs> yeah, she has a plan again. You know, I'm glad she's finally getting some attention. We talk about the specifics of her plan, how she wants to uh, finance an expansion of things like Medicare for all or health care for all uh, and uh, co- relieving, uh, getting rid of college loans and making uh, college free, public education free for people, et cetera, et cetera. And she has a, a plan for raising taxes on the wealthiest people. It's a plan. It's actually something she stands for. It's a it's a part of a, of a long evolution in her career uh, as a public official, as opposed to like Beto O'Rourke, who hasn't really done anything except give a nice speech, or Mayor Pete, who gives good interviews with Trevor Noah. Uh, so, you know, it's it like, that's not fair that she wasn't getting any attention. That's not fair that she was being ignored. So now time is call, calling attention to that fact. Hey, she has a plan. You know, hey, voters, you always say you want your politicians to have plans, policy positions, right? So here you go. And finally, 2020 POTUS candidate Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, along with Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, unveiled legislation today to regulate credit card and banking industries. And leave it to Bernie Sanders. The next bit of news involves percentages. For the top 1% than <laughs> the bottom 92%, uh, 49% of all new income goes to the top 1%. Loves talking percentage. <laughs> he sure does. The plan proposed today by Senator Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez would cap credit card interest rates at 15%, Bloomberg News reports. The legislation would also let post offices offer low-cost basic financial services, such as checking and saving accounts and loans. Here's a collaboration quote from both Bernie and AOC. Quote, Today's loan sharks wear expensive suits and work on Wall Street, where they make hundreds of millions of dollars in total compensation by charging sky-high fees and interest rates, the pair said in a statement outlining the plan. All right, Bernie Sanders and uh, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez yeah, teaming up. There you go. There's the there's the dream ticket for the Democrats. I'm not sure that will work. Yeah, in the... 35 years old. <laughs> oh, that's correct. I forgot that. Alexander, it seems like she's been around a long time, but you're right. Uh, she's only been around since uh, like June of 2008 in terms of the uh, most people's uh, knowledge. Uh, but uh, now there's a classic case, D, of someone, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, and Bernie Sanders, who sort of mix um, policies and platforms and positions and worldviews with celebrity. You know, people are fascinated by uh, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez. That movie I keep talking about, Knock Down the House, is doing very well. It's on Netflix. You can watch it. You can see it for yourself. It chronicles uh, her campaign from when she was an unknown a, a bartender in, uh, in, uh, in the Bronx or Brooklyn. And uh, then she came out of nowhere and beat Joe Crowley for uh, the Democratic pri- in the Democratic primary for uh, congressman. But uh, it, this is a classic case of somebody who is sort of trying to juggle her celebrity the fact that people are obsessed with her as a public figure, uh, a very attractive woman who's a master at using Twitter, and uh, a person of policy and principle. And so I give her credit for that. She takes uh, forceful positions on the issues of the day. I hate to say it, unlike Mayor Pete and Senator Beto, who just sort of duck and dodge and weave and pretend as though the issues don't exist. And like, can't we all just love each other? And uh, you know, which is a nice sentiment, but um, it's not really going to help pay the bills or give us uh, health insurance, et cetera. So I give uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez credit for trying to, again, balance uh, this this position of being uh, a celebrity and being a person of policies 
and principles. Now, of course, we will keep you posted on these stories as today's program rolls along. We're moving on, people. And after this short little break, we're going to find out what's going on locally. We're going to find out what else is news. All right. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time. Chicago LandCremationOptions.com. It's Chicagoland's adult entertainment playground. It's the world-famous Admiral Theater, 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. The Admiral is homegrown from Chicago, and it's the most conveniently located club in all of the city. 15 minutes from the O'Hare Airport in downtown Chicago Loop. Voted Chicago's best strip club, the Admiral has showgirls galore and a variety of adult entertainment shows. The world-famous Admiral Theater, open every day from 7 p.m. to 6 a.m., 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. For events, showtime, and other information, visit AdmiralX.com. Must be 18 years of age or older to enter. guys welcome back to the ben jarofsky show <laughs> like i said very interesting day today live from the chicago sun times yes indeed we are live from the chicago sun times i have my cheat sheet right here d anybody want to ask me who's running for president got them all right show here. those okay, listeners yeah. that cheat sheet that cheat sheet yeah. that's it no 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 new uh, candidates today huh no. Nope. Uh, Mike Klonsky hasn't uh, announced he's running. <laughs> Not yet. He was Give on the show yesterday. Did such a great job in the show. Mike said, you know what? I'm going to run for president. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a charismatic guy. I used to play basketball. Anyway, what you got for me, boy? We're about to find out what's going on locally. It's time for What Else is News. Mm. Our Illinois friends of the conservative persuasion are ramping up the rhetoric on Governor Pritzker's fair tax plan. Oh, we're going to be talking about that with John Bauman. But first... It's Lori Goes to Washington, day two, in review. <laughs> okay. Yes, our Chicago mayor-elect is wrapping up her D.C. visit today. Yeah. We covered what went down Tuesday. In case you missed it, here's a quick summary. Lightfoot met with Donald Trump's daughter, Ivanka. They talked about workforce development, vocational education, crime prevention, and more. She also met with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Ben, hold back your excitement. <laughs> we have a show to do. Did I tell you I really like Nancy oh, Pelosi? Told us all millions of times. And they discussed the need for infrastructure in Chicago. And no, she did not meet with the president and all the D.C. bigwigs. 
Seem to like her. Bam, day one. Uh, that, that was, was it. day one. Yeah. yeah. Ivanka. She got along with Ivanka, right? Oh, on to day two. All right. Lori went back to the White House. Still no meeting with Trump, but she came to discuss her transportation wish list again. Here's Lightfoot on her thoughts on her White House meeting. Shout out to NBC5 Chicago for the audio. How did it go? I think it went well. Just a good conversation. But I feel optimistic that we're going to be able to work on po- common uh, points of connection. I think they're interested in trying to be helpful. They've been in and out of Chicago. It's clear to me they know uh, things about uh, people and organizations in Chicago at a granular level. Hey, hats off to Lori Lightfoot. A Democrat went to D.C. and had some optimism. Yeah, a granular level. I mean, she's really bending over backwards to be as diplomatic as she can. Is she? Ah, they really, they really understand things on a grand. I gotta look that up. Granular level. All right, but you know, use big words that nobody knows what they mean. And uh, worked on me. <laughs> huh? Oh, cool. Yeah. Sounds good. Right. Hold on, I'm looking it up as we. Speak. Oh my God, what are you doing? We have a show to do. Right, looking up words yeah. while we're hosting a podcast. Yeah, we got nothing going on. Yeah. Yeah, all right. All right. Hey, while in Washington, NBC5 decided, uh, what the hell, let's talk to uh, the new congressman and former Chicago mayoral candidate, Jesus Chewy Garcia, about Lori's visit. Take it away, Chewy. She needs money for infrastructure to make a difference in the neighborhoods to bring about equitable development, transit-oriented d- development so that people can move to their jobs, to school, to uh, you know have greater mobility. By the way, granular means uh, resembling or consisting of small grains or particles. So I'm not quite sure who in the White House understands Chicago on any level, including the small levels. I know one thing Trump understands about Chicago. If he gives $50,000 to Mayor Rahm, it'll sure help get that big name, which is not granular, uh, on that big building, which is not granular, right downtown Chicago, where everybody could see it when you take the brown line. Drives me every time. And we're on the brown line. Dennis and I, hey, Ben, look, here's the sign. Oh, look at my building. <laughs> Not granular. Yeah, so I don't really know what you, you know, you're really stretching things. Or you really want to make it sound like there's something good going on. You throw out a word that nobody really knows what it means. You look up the word, as I just did, see what it means. I'm like, what are you talking about? Who in, who in the White House understands anything about the city of Chicago? The city of Chicago is, is like a caricature that Donald Trump uses to fire up his base. The city of Chicago is like these just like a ball of prejudices that people have about having to do with race, having to do with poverty, having to do with crime, having to do with Democratic politicians. It's all these misconceptions that people have, all these fears that people have, easy to exploit. That's what the city of Chicago is to people in the White House, to the Donald Trumps. And it's also an opportunity to make money by having a big, giant building right in the middle of the downtown area that's got your name plastered on it, in part, in, in part because you were savvy enough to give $50,000 donation to the mayor of the city of Chicago or the guy who wanted to be mayor of the city of Chicago. That's what Chicago is to the people in the White House. But when you want to be a diplomat, D., say things like people in the White House understand Chicago on a granular level. Anyway, you know what? I could not survive in politics today, man. I would I would not. First of all, I wouldn't make the ballot, as I always say. But I could not like just say, oh, you know, Donald Trump, not a bad guy. There's you about know? 12 of us out there that vote for you. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> since you were busy looking up words, let's let's play the Chewy quote again. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I forgot about Chewy. Go oh, ahead. I can tell. Yeah. Come yeah. on, Chewy. She needs money for infrastructure to make a difference in the neighborhoods to bring about equitable development, transit-oriented d- development so that people can move to their jobs 
jobs, to school, to uh, you know have greater mobility. All right. Yes, indeed. I got to agree. By the way, just the pause to think about Chewy Garcia could have been mayor, would have been mayor. Things have gone a little differently. Perhaps if uh, Barack Obama had not strongly re, uh, endorsed Mayor Rahm's reelection in 2015. It's just a kind of an interesting moment in time. Chewy Garcia is the congressman uh, to a large degree because of the elevation and stature he got in the city because he ran for mayor uh, for mayor against uh, uh, Rahm back in 2015. And now he's welcoming Lori Lightfoot to Washington, uh, who is is the mayor, got the job he dreamed of. So it's an interesting little moment there. Uh, Chewy Garcia is absolutely correct. The city of Chicago is going to need assistance from the feds for its infrastructure programs and uh, fixing its streets, its bridges, its uh, public transportation, et cetera, and so forth. So I guess that's why uh, she feels compelled to um, you know say nice things about the granular knowledge <laughs> that uh, may. Uh, that President Trump has for the city of Chicago. I will point out it's a, sort of an interesting history when it comes to uh, uh, the city of Chicago seeking assistance from uh, Republicans in the White House. To go way, way back in time, there was a congressman from the city of Chicago named uh, William Lipinski. His son, Dan Lipinski, inherited that seat. Speaking of nepotism, I was giving examples earlier in the show of, of people stunting like their daddies and uh, <laughs> moving on and getting uh, uh, positions from their fathers. That was that congressional seat was handed down by William Pinsky to his son, Dan Lipinski. Anyway, when William Lipinski was the congressman from the southwest side of Chicago, he cast his vote with uh, Ronald Reagan on funding the Contras in the war against the Sandinistas, the Nicaraguan Civil War that the United States was up to his eyeballs in in the 1980s. And when Donald, allegedly when Ronald Reagan, President Reagan was calling Lipinski for, uh, to thank him and say, what what would what could I help you, help you with in exchange for that vote that you gave me? Lipinski he said, well, you know what? There is this matter of a public transportation uh, to uh, Midway. There did not used to be a public uh, train uh, that went through the southwest side of Chicago. So many people in that neck of the woods had to rely on the Archer bus to get uh, from their neighborhoods uh, downtown. And so it was in part because of that vote on the funding the Contras that the um, southwest side got the, uh, what is it, the orange line. Uh, that goes to Midway. So, you know, there is sort of this tradition of Democrats in Chicago playing ball with Republican presidents, getting some goodies uh, for the uh, the city. Uh, the, the ironies embedded in that story about Lipinski uh, swapping his vote uh, on the Contras for a train uh, to Midway are in many ways painful um, if I take the real deep dive on it. But uh, as I said, there is a tradition. So maybe uh, Lori's saying nice things about Donald Trump, about his granular knowledge uh, about Chicago will, as Chewy Garcia is suggesting, pay off with investments in our public, our public transportation systems right now. We're talking Lori Lightfoot's D.C. visit day two in review. Lightfoot also spoke with the Black Caucus, but not present at her speech to the Black Caucus was Representative Bobby Rush. Now, if you recall, Lightfoot and Rush have a bit of a beef going on. We'll remind you. During Lightfoot's mayoral runoff against Tony Preckwinkle, Bobby Rush said that Lightfoot voters would, quote, have the blood of the next young black man or woman killed by the police on their hands. And wouldn't you know, Lightfoot and others were upset by that comment. Rush arrived just as Lightfoot was leaving and missed her presentation. But reporters caught up with Lori to ask her about Bobby Rush. Did you have a chance to talk with Congressman Rush yet? No, I, we were just walking out as he was walking Would in. Would you like him to apologize? 
Uh, what I want to do is make sure that I focus on moving Chicago forward. The election's over. Our city has a lot of um, wounds that we need to heal. And I want to do everything I can uh, to be true to the mandate that I was given during the election. Rush told reporters Wednesday he hasn't spoken with Lightfoot since she won, but wishes her well. Here's the quote from Bobby Rush, quote, I would be so overjoyed, very much overjoyed, if she became the best and most successful mayor that Chicago's ever had. He then called his past remarks about her, the ones we just talked about, he called that old news. (laughs) (laughs) Old news, man. (laughs) Offensive, old news, whatever. And when asked if he would apologize for those past remarks, Rush did not directly answer. Another quote from Bobby Rush, if she asks me to do it, then we'll discuss it, Rush said. And boy, NBC5 and Marianne Ahern really uh, outdid themselves on this day two review they had. Here's audio of Bobby Rush on Mayor-elect Lori Lightfoot. Do you think that you should apologize for what was said in the campaign? Oh, no. The campaign is over. Campaigns are known for having for language and for, you know, rhetoric. We're not permanent enemies. All right. We have permanent interests, I hope. <laughs> Bobby Rush. <laughs> wow. Uh, I love that. Well, uh, okay. It's old news, which is better than fake news, which is what uh, fake news. <laughs> Donald Trump would just say, I never said that, even though if he had said it. I give Bobby Rush credit. It's a little more true. By the way, we were talking about Bobby Rush yesterday. Forget what he said about uh, uh, Mayor-elect Lightfoot. What about returning that furniture that Klotsky gave <laughs> you way back? Remember that story? Klotsky. Mike Klotsky in the studio. Uh, a uh, legendary political activist in the city of Chicago. Hey, Mike, I just called you a legend. Uh, way back when in 1968, was with the S- uh, Students for Democratic Society, uh, SDS, and uh, they had an office on uh, Madison, I think it was, Madison and Ashland. Um, and so uh, what, what, uh, one day the, there was a knock at the door, and it was Fred Hampton and Bobby Rush uh, from the Black Panther Party uh, they wanted to borrow some furniture uh, for their Black Panther Party uh, headquarters right down the street on Madison there. But uh, time has passed. Bobby Rush, of course, was a Black Panther uh, a radical in the 60s, and he moved into the Democratic Party and uh, worked his way up from alderman to congressman, Congress for a long time. Uh, yeah, he was out of control with the rhetoric, um, and uh, he was just, it, if you remember, it came at a moment when it was pretty obvious to everybody that Lori Lightfoot was going to defeat Tony Preckwinkle. So I don't even know what purpose it stood. Uh, maybe he has some kind of old gripe against uh, Lori Lightfoot that he just couldn't help himself with. Uh, but anyway, you know, it's like it's really hard to get someone to apologize. I don't know why he can't just say, you know what, I apologize. That was really over the top and uh, wish nothing but the best for Lori Lightfoot. So I apologize. But I guess it's hard for people to say they're sorry, D. So that's pretty funny the way it goes. That's old news. <laughs> you can't get away with that old news stuff. And finally, more audio here from Lori Lightfoot on day two on her visit to D.C. My goal is to be a cheerleader for the city of Chicago, to talk about the things um, that are great and working well, and seek resources for the challenges that we have so that we can bring a better quality of life to people in the city. Glass half full there for Lori Lightfoot <laughs> on her visit to D.C. Yeah, you know, she did okay. Yeah, she did all right. She got back two meetings with the White House, not one, but two. And, and she appreciates the granular knowledge. And hopefully uh, she got that autograph from Pelosi you've always wanted. <laughs> so I know you asked Lori about that. Uh, did she get that Nancy Pelosi lunchbox? <laughs> it was really, remember the, the Nancy Pelosi cup? 
Babs put that on my Facebook. Oh, yeah, it was pretty yeah. funny. Uh, the, the Nancy Pelosi cup. So, yeah, maybe she got that Nancy Pelosi lunchbox that we've been wanting for so long. So there you are. Just like that, a little recap there of day two of Lori Lightfoot's visit to D.C., uh, day, day three in review, maybe tomorrow. I don't know. Probably not. I think uh, we kind of got all the material out of that that we needed. But just like that, you're now in the know of what's going on in Chicago. We're going to do a little what else is news bonus after this short little break. Yeah, it turns out uh, our friends of the conservative persuasion in Illinois have a little problem with J.B. Pritzker's fair tax plan. It's awaiting the House to get approved. So we have an update on that. So after this short little break, we're going to do that. Today's Ben Jaromsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Discover the breadth and majesty of Chicago's architecture on a Chicago Architecture Center bus tour. From bungalows to Bauhaus, our expert docents will share the fascinating stories behind our city's architecture. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a bus tour right now. Oh, my. Look at that wonderful piece of architecture. Last week on the Fran Spielman Show. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman, and with me is Alderman Scott Wagesback. And you could be, maybe, the chairman of the City Council Finance Committee. That's a possibility. I think problem is that some people look at this uh, Finance Committee chair position as a way to, you know, have a lot of jobs. I mean, I've heard that out sure. there. It's very simple. Um, a simple approach to look at it. I'm looking at it as how are we going to really reform the city council? And if we're going to do it right as the mayor wants to do, as she has a mandate from 75% of the people in the city, then we've got to go through and cut a wide swath and make sure that we're looking at every task that's happening in there. What are we supposed to review? Um, if we're talking about reviewing bond documents that come down from the mayor's office or from the uh, CFO, then we need to make sure we have people on staff who are reviewing that and giving us an analysis that either counters or is comparable to what the mayor's office is doing. It's the Franz Spielman Show, this and every Friday, only at the Chicago Sun-Times website. Chicago.suntimes.com Commercial break over. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Yes, indeed. We are back. We are live. The Chicago Sun-Times building. Beautiful Chicago Sun-Times building. Wonderful building. Wonderful building. Just got myself some water. Oh, get that water, please. Stay hydrated, sir. So Dr. D's got uh, a deep dive on the flat tax. What you got for me? A little bonus. Uh, what else is news? Mm -hmm. I guess we're calling it here. Uh, all right. Our Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker's tax plan breezed through the Senate. It now awaits the House approval. The following comes from the meanest Illinois political bulldog in the yard. <laughs> Capital Facts' own Rich Miller, a bipartisan group of nearly 50 state and local leaders across Illinois, have united against the elimination of Illinois' flat income tax protection. So let me pull up uh, Capital Facts here, and we will read the story. Mm -hmm. All right, hang tight here. Okay. Oh, wait, so it's the Illinois Policy Institute. They mm -hmm. released uh, this little uh, piece of garbage, honestly, here. It's an open letter to Governor J.B. Pritzker on the progressive income tax from Illinois influencers. We're just going to read exactly from the press release here. All right, so the, uh, it's a letter to Governor Pritzker here. It says, Dear Governor Pritzker, 
We write you today as representatives of Illinois, and Ben, feel free to weigh in, interrupt, and now weigh in here. We write to you today as representatives of Illinois taxpayers, as local government stewards, and as job creators who share your commitment to repair our state, but who strongly disagree that a progressive state income tax is the way to do so. All right, so. let me just interrupt you right here. The opening line, uh, we strongly disagree that progressive state income tax is the way to do it. Just so you remember, folks, the uh, Illinois Policy Institute uh, is not exactly what a how I put this, a completely objective player in this. Like me, they have their own worldview. Their worldview is diametrically opposite of mine. They are of the right-wing persuasion. They are far right. Uh, they were allies of Bruce Rauner. Remember that guy, D, Bruce Rauner? Oh, hell yeah. Uh, old Governor Rauner and uh, their attitude, they're extremely, make it clear, they're anti uh, any kind of tax. Uh, it, well, that, that's a complicated uh, issue, like wh- what they want to tax and what they want to fund. Um, they had their opportunity to a large degree when Governor Rauner was elected in 20. Uh, what was that? Good God, I've forgotten the date. 2014, uh, as governor of the state of Illinois, defeating Pat Quinn, they had their opportunity to enact their far-right uh, agenda, which is essentially to starve government, uh, to keep uh, government from having the money it needs to like fund the basic services that we want. Uh, governor Rauner made it clear that uh, he also thought bankruptcy was a good way to go in many cases. That would enable the state to un- unhook its obligations, to say, to its pensioners. So we no longer have to pay money in the pensions. The less money you bring in for pensioners, the more money there are for the people who pay the most in taxes, which are our wealthiest people. So they make it clear they're not, again, they're not as though they're standing in this without any bias. They have an extreme bias. They're anti-government. They do not want to fund government. Uh, They have not never made it clear what governmental programs they think are absolutely necessary. And they do a very effective job, I think, of putting their message out, putting their propaganda out, and do, making a very good living at it, I might say. McDumkey for ProPublica, my good friend McDumkey has hey, pointed Mick. out, uh, they make a nice, uh, handsome living uh, pushing their public visa, as they should. Okay, hey, I'm not against a guy going out and make a healthy living, you know, putting forth his anti-government uh, proposals, but just so you know it. So when they talk about themselves as like job creators and this and that, the jobs that they're creating are jobs for themselves, okay? So it's not as though uh, they're this like this this ideal little group that exists in a perfect little heaven. Uh, they're political operatives with a very rigid, defined right-wing political view. All right, texting our guest at 2 o'clock. Okay, moving on. Oh, wait, did someone say Bruce Rauner? Yay for our <laughs> teachers! Yay for our teachers! He wanted a way in there. Sorry about that. I was waiting for you to play that. We stand united. Oh, this is a letter, by the way. This is not me. Uh, this is a letter from the <laughs> Illinois Policy Institute to J.B. Pritzker to just the, their basically last-ditch effort to not go through with this uh, graduated income tax. We stand united in opposition to Senate Joint Resolution Constitutional Amendment 1, the Progressive Income Tax Amendment. All evidence shows a progressive tax will make it easier to raise taxes and will create instability that will make it harder to govern hurt businesses damage illinois's economy and speed the exodus of hard-working illinoisans all right stop like right there i mean uh, all evidence shows a progressive tax will make it easier to raise taxes or create instability i don't know what evidence they're talking about whatsoever <laughs> that's like i'm saying they're not exactly the most you know something they're like like i'd say they're not like scientists in a lab with these like rigid definitions of what they're going to do and following precise you know uh uh, scientific uh, uh, 
practices and principles. They're just making this stuff up as they go along because they have a worldview and they want the evidence to support the worldview that they have when they began the discussion. So the reality is, I don't know what they're talking about, that uh, uh, a progressive tax, well, how do they put it, would lead to instability? How do they put that? Well, create instability. you got to fund government. I mean, that's, that's stability. That's the definition of stability. So we need a way to fund government without uh, hitting our uh, poorest people or middle class people or working class people. Got to figure that out. The more money you have, the greater contribution you can make without, like, sacrificing anything of essence to your livelihood. I think it's fundamental. It's basic. So I don't know what they're they're making that stuff up, D. Our friends over at no one's favorite, the Illinois Policy Institute, went on in their letter to J.B. Pritzker. We hold these convictions and are united in opposition to a progressive income tax in SJRCA1 for the following reasons. There's like six reasons here, all right? So we'll just list the reasons. Reason number one. The state's flat income tax is one of the few remaining competitive advantages in Illinois. It must be preserved. All right, let me just stop there. Again, I don't know what they're talking about. I can't wait. John Bauman will be here at 2.30 to take this apart. Uh, The flat income tax is one of the few remaining competitive advantages in Illinois. The flat income tax, of course, means that uh, no matter how wealthy you are or or how poor you are, you pay the same 4.95%. That's what the income tax is, uh, the the rate is in the state of Illinois. And uh, so I don't know how that's an advantage. I don't know. Are you you saying that... like the wealthiest people uh, in the state of Illinois live here, choose to live here only because they don't have to pay at like an 8%. Is that it? Is that what your statement is? That there will be an uh, exodus of wealthy people from the loop? I mean, there's a reason why they've congregated there. It's like nice to live in the loop, all right? It, it, it's not, Or they're just going to move to Gary, Indiana. Is that what's going to happen? They're going to move down to Indiana? Is, are they going to go cheeseheads? They're going to all go rush over hey, to... Now be nice to the Wisconsin <laughs> oh, listeners, sorry, please. Man. I love my cheeseheads. I think it's going to flee with its mass ex. Uh-oh, you raised the rate. Instead of having a billion dollars uh, to spend, I'll only have a billion minus, I don't know, a million. <laughs> it's still a lot of money. So this notion that our state's stability rests on our reluctance to tax our wealthiest people is a myth that they've made up. Uh, So like I said, this is not exactly a group of scientists in a lab uh, following procedures, exact procedures they're making up as they go along, D. All right, we're listing the reasons here from the Illinois Policy Institute on why J.B. Pritzker should just park this progressive income tax plan that he has here. We went through number one, and pardon my radio manners i you know we're on to number two number two there we go didn't do that the first one all right number two efforts to pass a progressive income tax in illinois are driven by illinois budget crisis but tax hikes cannot save illinois our state has a spending problem that has ruined the state's finances and sunk the economy spending must be addressed before illinoisans are asked to sacrifice even more all right now this is where they're actually entering a legitimate arena okay there's like you can have a discussion about how Illinois or how the city of Chicago or how any municipality spends it mo- it spends its money because if you there's two issues here one you have to raise the money 
And two, it's how you spend it. So when you get to raising the money, I believe in a progressive income tax. Uh, we, I think we would all agree that we there are some essential programs that have to be funded. So some money has to be raised. I think even the Illinois Institute, well, I shouldn't put words uh, in their mouths, but I presume, yeah. I would hope they would think that. So then the issue is, how do you raise that money? Who pays what and how much? Should the wealthiest pay at the same rate as the poorest? This is sort of a you know philosophical question, if you will. Then there's the issue of how do you spend the money that you have? And this is where I have my greatest disagreement uh, with people of the conservative persuasion. And it's not just these folks who wrote, wrote this letter, but it's Bruce Rauner. Uh, it's the Chicago Tribune's editorial board. They are quick to denounce as waste public expenditures that don't directly benefit them. So, for instance, if, if it's a pensioner, uh, a retiree who is uh, living on uh, the income he or she gets for his pension, that, in their eyes, is a waste of money. And you can't afford it, even if that's keeping a person alive, even if that's supporting his or her family, even if that person lives in the city of Chicago and as a result of receiving that money is able to go out and buy groceries and be able to go out and pay uh, bills and pay uh, property tax, et cetera, even if it's direct investment, if you will, in a particular neighborhood, they view that as a waste of money. Now, I don't, I don't view it that way, D. I view it as an investment in the city of Chicago. What I view as a waste of money, we'll talk about this later, are corporate hand Handouts like the ones we saw to Lincoln Yards. So I would have a, a more belie- a be- faith in what they're saying about their opposition to how we spend money if I saw them speak out against corporate handouts. But you know, D, when it comes to speaking out against corporate handouts, where are they? Oh, yeah. yeah. There they are under, under the, the table. table. Man, yeah. that table has so many things under it. A lot, of, re- a lot of Republicans hanging out. Uh, don't, don't ask me about the corporate handout. Skillicorn. Right? Skillicorn's down there. It's <laughs> killing. That crazy bastard. Oh, my God. Yeah, Skillet Court's hiding under the table. So is Jeannie Ives, by the way. All right, we just did reason number two mm-hmm. as to why Pritzker should just, hey, man, come on, please don't go with this progressive income tax, for the love of God. Uh, there's six of them. We just went through number one. Oh, I'm sorry, we did number one. We did number two. Yeah, it doesn't take a genius to figure out what's next. It's <laughs> number three. Yes, and Ben, I'm going to grab our guest. You read number three and riff on it. Could you please? All right, here we go. Number- oh, give me your badge. I left my <laughs> badge okay, at home today all right hold on oh, hold breaking on. the fourth wall today right, ladies and gentlemen on, out of all the days to leave my work badge right, left it there throw that to me all right great now right. number three i'll be back all right have fun all right as dr d goes out to get our guest uh here is number three we know it is impossible for majority of illinoisans Boy, that's a hard word to say. To receive long-term tax relief under progressive income tax, this resolution does not include specific income tax rates, leaving lawmakers able to pass whatever rates they wish by creating division and punishing hard work. And this, again... So there's some legitimacy uh, to this point. We'll be talking about it with John Bauman when he comes in a little later. Uh, and this has to do with the issue of what exactly will the rates be. Uh, this was an issue, of course, in the governor's race when J.B. Pritzker had dedicated himself to the general principle of having a progressive income tax without stipulating the exact rates. Why did he not want to stipulate the exact rates? Because he knew that the moment he did that, it would turn into a campaign attack ad that the Republicans and Bruce Rauner would use against him and everybody that was supporting that progressive tax. So it's, I, I know politics are being played on both parts, folks. 
I like to believe that in a perfect world uh, that we could just have this sort of like educated discussion and educated analysis of this particular program. But we don't live in a perfect world. We live in a very political world, and, and these things will be turned into political attacks. So yes, they have. There's not been a lot of specificity. There's uh, several plans. There's several ideas out there. So several proposals. I presume this will be uh, worked out eventually. Uh, part of the legislative process. And uh, so I, listen, if the Republicans uh, want to join in on having a, a discussion of what kind of tax rates we should have, they should come forth and deal with it in a very honest, straightforward way. But they're not doing that. They're against in, the, uh, in any kind of progressivity at all. They don't like the principle of progressivity. They don't like the principle of forcing wealthier people to pay more money uh, or a higher rate uh, than poorer people. They don't want that kind of income test uh, in the process. And so they just want to destroy this uh, at the outset. Also, they know it's an effective political tool uh, to derail against any tax hike. And this is, this is what gets to the politics. It's easy to twist uh, any tax hike, even if it doesn't affect you, even if it gives you a break ultimately uh, into opposition, because there is this general revulsion uh, to paying taxes. We all know that. We saw that with J.B. Pritzker uh, and he, when he pulled his toilets out. That's what makes it so difficult for Democrats uh, to proceed with uh, proposals to raise taxes because they know people don't want to pay taxes. They know people distrust government. So in many ways, um, the Republicans have an advantage here uh, when uh, they raise these objections, but they're not being stewards of good government. That's for certain. All right, let's see. Number four, uh, the amendment would allow Illinois to impose the highest effective corporate income tax rate uh, in the nation, as high as 1522 uh, Modern business is mobile, so a hostile tax climate will give job creators reason to leave or reject Illinois. This, of course, uh, is an argument that uh, Bruce Rauner used all the time in the campaign uh, in 2018 against uh, J.B. Pritzker. He also used it in 2014 against uh, Pat Quinn. And the attitude was that if you reduce taxes on businesses, if you reduce taxes on corporations, if you reduce taxes on wealthy people, they'll be having a... Um, an incentive, incentive to stay in Illinois, to stay in Chicago and uh, create jobs. That's the basis of their argument. They can take it one step further. It's not just reducing taxes on them. It's giving them incentives, giving them handouts. We saw that with Lincoln Yards. We're seeing that with 78. And that, again, is where I uh, really have to part ways with them because it there are some essential aspects of government. I can't hammer this point uh, enough that must be funded, and you can't fund them if you're diverting money uh, to businesses or if you're allowing people to pay less than their fair share. All right, DR. Hey, we're back. Was that uh, number three? No, we were number four. Our guest, Sharice Williams, number is here. Number four. Uh, well, you missed the number four button, but that, that's like aftermath number four. But we're going to bring Sharice Williams on, talk about all the issues of the day. But first, we're going to take a little break. Today's Ben Jaromsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. See the city from a whole new angle on a Chicago Architecture Center tour. With more than 85 tours to choose from, there are endless stories to discover. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm on a tour. Oh my, what magnificent architecture. Hey everybody, what you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. 
man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F. M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U-E-L-P-I-A-N-I-S-T dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. Hey, everybody. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Thursday, May 9th is moments away. But before we get into our number two, we would like to thank the following unions for bringing back the Ben Jarofsky show. First up, it's the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8. It's the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9 and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. Thank you once again to those unions for chipping in and bringing back the Ben Jarofsky show. And of course, today's program is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two. Let's go. It is Thursday, May 9th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, we welcome Sharice Williams of the Chicago Federation of Labor, and we got a lawyer coming in studio. I need to clean it up a little bit here. John Bowman. And now your host, not a lawyer, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Yes, indeed. I'm not a lawyer, but I play one in this radio show. Uh, with me in the studio, Sharice William, uh, pride and joy of the Chicago Federation of Labor. Welcome to the show, Sharice. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, it's a pleasure to have you here. And uh, I know a little bit about your background because we talked on the phone a bit. But uh, why don't you introduce yourself uh, to our listeners? Where are you from? Are you from Chicago? Yeah, from Southside. Southside is the best side. Um, yep, born and raised on the south side of Chicago. Went to Mother Macaulay Liberal Arts High School. Now, I, I was I, when you said that to me, uh, I was a little surprised. In my mind, Mother Macaulay is a, a southwest side institution. Like, uh, the volleyball teams, right, right. this powerhouse of girls' right. sports. How'd you find your way to Mother Macaulay? Um, so I'm a scholarship kid. I'm a volleyball watcher. I not am a player. Team, not a player. I am Team Mighty Max, though. Like that is where you learn that women are powerful and awesome and amazing and Clearly, that's seen by everything that's happening in the world today. Um, but no, I was in this program called Link Unlimited, um, which basically helped pay and fund my scholarship, my tuition. My mom's a teacher, uh, so she 25 years, so she helped pay for the rest of it, um, CTU. And then my brother went to Ignatius. 
So we are scholarship people. I got you. Yeah. And so what neighborhood did you grow up in? This little neighborhood called Pill Hill. Oh, Pill Hill. <clears throat> yeah. Right over from there. Chatham. Yes. Yep. Right um, east of Stony Island. Mm-hmm. Then from there, I went to Illinois State, and I left before they asked me to leave. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> you were not a Sterling student? I was not a Sterling student. I had every intention to, uh, but I was having a really, really good time. Uh-huh. Uh, so I went to this small school called Lewis University in oh. Romeoville. Um, Lewis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is where, when I wasn't in class, they would notice I wasn't there. Uh-huh. And so I needed someone to kind of re- rear me in. Um, and then from there, bounced around a little bit and then got my master's at University of Chicago. So did you have that? University of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so did you have a sort of a moment in your life, Sharice, where you just said, you know what? I got to get serious about what I'm going to do and uh, <clears throat> going down yeah. straight and narrow. <laughs> um, so that moment, I had a scholarship at Illinois State. Um, my advisor brought me in and said, either straighten up or ship out. So I went to Lewis. And then my graduation so I have a son. I tell everyone he was my college graduation present. <laughs> when everybody else is walking across the stage, I was giving birth. So um, my first like graduation, big graduation, was in grad school. So kind of having a kid at a young age, you know, puts oh, things you? in perspective really, really fast. And uh, how, so how'd you do that? How'd you juggle uh, having a son, did you say? Yep. A son uh, dealing with graduate school at the University of Chicago. What, what program were you in? The Harris School, Master of Public School's Policy. Yep. Policy. So how'd you deal with that? How'd you juggle uh, motherhood, uh, scholarship, yeah. Yeah. work, the whole thing? You know what? I don't really know. I still look back. Um, we made it through. So he is, he's now 18. He just turned 18. I know. 18? I you look know. like you're about 20. Thank you. Keep saying it. I'm going to keep you around. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> um, wow. He's going to Morehouse College in okay. Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, so very proud about that. And, um, you know, we just made it through. Him and I, um, my family were really supportive. Did uh, your mom help out? She helped out as much as she could, but she was a teacher. Like, being a teacher is like hard work, right? A so Chicago she's public school CPS teacher. Te- yeah. And she was a special ed teacher, so she was raising a bunch of other people's kids, too. Oh, my goodness. Um, and uh, so, you know, we, we had to share her with the kids of Chicago, which was okay. So you would be the one who would drive him to wherever he went, like whatever activities he had? Everything, yeah. And they know when you're not there. Like, they even know when you don't look. You know how, like, when you turn your head and you talk to another parent? Yeah. And that's when they score the goal. Okay. And you've been watching the whole time? <laughs> Ma, did you see right, that? Right, yeah. I turned my head for five seconds. So were you, like, you were the young parent. Yes. So I was kind of like the old parent. Oh, really? Okay, you know. <laughs> uh, and so you were the young parent. I was the young parent, What was yeah. that like? We we grew up together. I say, if I'm going to a house party, you going upstairs. Like, you know, either upstairs, don't come downstairs. If you hear us laughing and, you know, slapping the cards on my forehead. Um, he didn't sleep with the nightlight because I didn't sleep in, in the nightlight. I go to sleep in the dark. You go to sleep in the dark. Um, he's a, He was a very tame kid. I was, I was very blessed to get somebody who just knew how to roll out with me. And, uh, yeah. And so we went to those sporting events. How did the older parents treat you? Uh, they thought I was the sister or the babysitter. Um, I, I was lucky enough to be part of this organization called Jack and Jill. Wow. What's that? It's this historical family, um, family-based kind of moms and dads group mm-hmm. uh, that's been around for decades. It's a national organization. Um, I was the youngest and kind of the only single mom when I joined. And they told me things like where to find a good pediatrician, where to send my kid to school. I just didn't know. No one else had kids around me. Right? I, I didn't know. So I was lucky to be part of kind of this mother's group. 
Um, and that's where I met uh, Julia, uh, Juliana Stratton, our now lieutenant governor. Wait, time out. She was in the Jack and Jill thing, she too? She was, yeah. With her kids. With her kids. She was, uh, now she's got to be a little older than you. She right? is, yeah. A little older. Yeah. But she, she was my mentor. She sponsored me. In the Jack and Jill program. In the Jack program, and Jill program, yeah, decades ago. And uh, so where were you living at the time? Where were you living? You, were, you weren't living in the Southwest No. Um, at that time, was I with my mom? I think I was with my mom that year, and mm-hmm. then we moved to Bronzeville, um, jumped around a little bit, and then ended up in High Park. Stratton's uh, yeah. neck of the woods, actually. Yeah. That's yeah. your neck of the woods. So mm-hmm. how did you get involved in politics? Totally by accident. So I worked at um, this place called Lincoln Limited, um, which was the same program that actually helped me go through high school, so kind of full circle. <clears throat> Wanted to help the kids, decided to go back to school and get a master's in public policy because I felt like I was helping a few hundred kids. I wanted to help a thousand kids. Mm-hmm. The best way to do that is to change the law because our education systems is not the best. Mm-hmm. Um, did an internship for Tony Preckwinkle, and that was my first introduction into politics. I was a Cook County fellow, and I was like, wow, there's like women who yeah. actually like are doing good shit like mm. in politics. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, oh, wow. I never would have thunk it and kind of got infatuated with it by then. Um, and just kind of, I volunteered on Mike Farrick's campaign. Um, he had no idea state who treasurer. I was. Yeah. I, yeah, state treasurer Michael Farrick's. Mm. He had no idea who I was. I kind of, I volunteered on his, uh, Fran Hurley's. Um, Robin Kelly, and just saw like all these good people. I looked up and I think I was exposed to generally good people. So you were not the kind of kid that was utterly obsessed with politics that would know who your politicians were. This is something, no. it, this is an appreciation that uh, emerged over years. Definitely emerged, yeah. I just, I really just saw good people who wanted to do good things. Now let's talk about Tony Perkwinkle for a moment, yep. if you will. Tony Perkwinkle got beat up pretty bad in this last mayoral campaign. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, she ended up with 25% of the vote. Mm-hmm. And I have I have my issues with Tony Perkwinkle over the years. Mm-hmm. She's trying to get, if you've, I don't know if you've ever asked Tony Perkwinkle a question. Sharice Williams, but she can duck and dodge with the best of them. And I've been asking questions to Tony Brickle for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, that said, I feel there was a lot of unfair things said about her yep. uh, in the in the last campaign. Mm-hmm. But you know, politics is tough; it's yep. rough and tumble. Um, but one thing about Tony Preckwinkle, and maybe you should talk about this, is there are a lot of politicians, a lot of elected officials, a lot of just professional people uh, from the South Side who got their start. But Christian Mitchell who's now big shot in uh, uh, yeah. Governor Pritzker's office, probably would not be a big shot in Governor Pritzker's yeah. office. Christian, yeah. uh, I hope you remember this now. <laughs> uh, without Tony Preckwinkle mm-hmm. uh, plucking him up, yeah. running him for office, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Talk about Tony Preckwinkle yeah, as a so, mentor. Like, um, like I said, I ended up, she was kind of my first entree into politics. And she would have these meetings once a month, because she's also the committee man. Um, of the fourth ward. Of the fourth ward. And people would be aligned just kind of asking her for help and she kept her word right and then when you hear all these stories about politicians that all of them you always hear bad negative liar right mm-hmm. um and i didn't really know anything about politics when i saw her i was like she's honest and she she kept her word now fast forward she did not endorse me in my race uh she actually was not a fan of me in my race, and and that's fine. All right, let's talk yeah, about that race. Politics. Yeah, okay, politics. <laughs> uh, the race that you're alluding to is for Cook County Board of Commissioners, yes. correct? Talk yeah. about that. You, there was a legendary uh, commissioner who decided to retire. Am yes. I getting it right? Yes, talk. Jerry Butler. And for ten trivia points, what's Jerry Butler's nickname, please? 
Iceman. All right. Did you know that, Dr. D? <laughs> no, did not. Uh, I love Jerry Iceman Butler. Butler. People of my age and my generation, I'm way older than you, Cherise, know Jerry Butler as a great singer. Yes. And one of the great singers of the 50s, 60s, and into the 70s. His voice was magical. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but then he went into politics, which yep. is so bizarre. And they, I think in 1986, he first ran. And he always, Jerry the Iceman Butler, Butler, just yeah. in case you confuse him with, like, you know, some other Jerry Butler. <laughs> That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he decided he wasn't going to run. Talk about it. Yeah. He decided you were going to run. Yeah. So um, kind of timing is everything. Um, I didn't have any intention to run. But um, my godson, so just the timing. When he decided not to run was the same time my godson was uh, shot and killed um, by someone who was released unintentionally from the Cook County system. So that was the impetus of me wanting to run um, because I felt like there needed to be change and this is the system that it needs to happen. So no one else would just go through that, you know. Your godson, where was he killed? Um, he was killed in Country Club Hills um, by someone who was in jail who he knew um, in elementary school and they set him up. Um, they robbed him and put a bullet in the back of his head. Oh so, um, you know, so he was brain dead, but his body was still functioning. And then they put it on Snapchat. Um, so it was just... It's, Some sick, twisted stuff. Yeah, it was very sick and twisted. How um, old was your your godson? He just made 21. Well, he's oh getting ready my. to make 22. He went, he was a semester away from graduating from uh, college in California. And he was literally just home uh, to see his mom. So he was not even here, right? We literally kind of sent him away to, to be get sick. away from this. Yep. Yes. Um, so his name is Jalen Talbert. It's my godson's name. Mm-hmm. And so um, he was the he was the impetus of doing it. Um, but just kind of how politics is, right? Is that you have to prepare, you have to plan, especially if you don't have any money. I had no money. I hadn't talked to anybody about it. I was just like, this is what I want to do. Um, and President Preckwinkle had already supported, decided to support the person who's now the uh, Commissioner Lowry. Lowry, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still wanted to do it. Like, I felt like this was something that I was passionate about, and um, I just kind of went for it. And she was very upfront. She was like, you know, I can't support you. You had and one I of those that. meetings where you got actually got to meet with uh, Tony Preckwinkle? Yes, yes. Did she know you that, that she had helped you get started by she knew you from when you were she, a yeah she remembered me as a as an intern i mean um after that we didn't work together yeah. but i saw her just you know with my work with the state treasurer's office um but she was always like very respectful and even throughout the race so people are like how was the race and i say it was actually not a bad experience what year was this uh march 18 was the primary. oh right 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 yeah, it's just, just happened. Over, yeah yeah mm-hmm. just happened. I've lost track of time I know so <laughs> much stuff happened, happened you know? yeah yeah uh, right it was just 2018 yeah. yeah Jerry Butler stepped down yeah mm-hmm. yeah and uh, so that what's that meeting like I've, I've <laughs> never uh, run for office I always make fun of myself I never would make the ballot right I don't know what that like that meeting is where you meet with the all powerful and she was very powerful yeah I'm still is powerful yeah she chair is. of the Democratic Party she is uh, and so you're ushering into us it's just the two of you or are there other uh, no there? so her staffer was there mm-hmm. um, one of her staffers were there and you have to understand I these are people that I knew right so it was probably just a little different for me and I think sometimes. Um, I don't, I don't fully see the things that are supposed to be awkward. Right. So I walked in and I'm hugging everybody, even throughout the whole campaign. I would see her, I would hug her because she still was this person, even though she wasn't supporting me and she was actively working against me. And Mm -hmm. by all accounts, I should be negative, but that's just not who I am. Right. Like I'm loyal if nothing else. Um, and 
You know, she would say to people, she was very open, I am not supporting Sharice. Wow, that's Tony Preckwinkle. <laughs> I can hear her say it too. Yeah. I, I could just hear her yeah, say it. I yeah, am. Yeah. She may say that she was an intern for me, but I am not. I'm not. And, but I would only bring it up when people would ask, because that's literally, was she was my first introduction to politics. I mean, that's just the truth. Yeah. Um, so you weren't, wasn't like you were trying to sneak the uh, endorsement. You know, uh, I would intern for Tony Preckwinkle and let people think, oh, no. wow, Tony is No, because it wasn't good to be endorsed by her. Explain that. Um, so during my race, that was actually would have worked against me because she was considered the machine. Mm-hmm. It's actually not a plus. Um, That's so bizarre. Isn't it? Yeah. It's, the, the whole machine thing is something I could talk about forever. I, there hasn't been a machine, a real machine in the city of Chicago forever. <laughs> and, he, and everybody's against the machine. You know what I'm saying? Right, Even Rahm right. Emanuel's, I'm against the machine. You are the machine. <laughs> Whatever. Anyway. Uh, so, yeah. So, you're running. Yeah. Uh, and she's making it clear. She's for Bill Lowry. And yes. there are other people in the race, too. It was, so, it was seven. It was, um, I'll probably forget. So, it was, uh, uh, what's her name? Pat. Horton, Patricia mm-hmm. Horton, Patricia Horton, um, yeah. Joshua Gray, uh, St- uh, Wolf, Steve Wolf, um, Harold Washington Howard, and uh, that's a good name to have in Chicago. I know politics. it was. How do you get was. that name? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's a great question. And then uh, my um, name is Ben Richard Daly. Yeah, our favorite person, uh, George. Oh, Blakemore. George Blakemore. Yeah, uh, he ran as a Republican. He did. Yeah, yeah. He did. He did. Um, and I think there was somebody else. I just can't think of it. Yeah. It was so, seven total. Uh, seven people running for yeah. this uh, rather obscure office. Yes. Uh, it's the Cook County Board of Commissioners. Uh, and uh, but people are passionately. <laughs> if only the voters cared as much about these they offices, didn't care. Reese. They didn't care. <laughs> so what were your campaign issues? Um so I was I was fortunate to be endorsed by the third ward alderman and eighteenth ward alderman. Oh, that and would be Pat Dow and Derek Curtis. Derek Curtis, okay. Yeah, so they were very very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, but my issues were very kind of similar to what um, Mayor like Lightfoot's are. Just coincidentally, was about a fresh voice having change, um, actually fixing the system and not the machine, but actually just fixing the system that is held down people that look like me forever. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up in that system. I saw that. I know what it looks like to lose somebody. I understand that the Cook County controls the money for the courts and the jails and, and the systems, and that's important, you know, who manages the budgets. Um, that's lack of poor technology that's just happening. I mean, the reason why that mistake happened is just because of outdated technology. So talk about the mistake itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know it's maybe painful to go back there, Sharice. I apologize if it is, uh, but it was the, the person who killed your grand, uh, your godson, was actually released from the Cook County Jail by mistake. Yeah, so that is uh, the story that the unofficial story we've been given. Uh, so the person hasn't been caught yet. So he was caught, but they couldn't hold him. Um, because of the phone and violation laws and I think just a bunch of baloney. But um, a, a couple years back, there was, a I think, they said, and you can probably Google this, um, some pr- prisoners that were accidentally released due to bad filing either on the clerk side or um, the sheriff's side. Mm-hmm. And he was part of that group. So he was released early or unintentionally, and he should not have been released. So the person that we see in the Snapchat video that we think is the one that actually killed him, because we don't actually see the him pull the bullet, is the one of that person. 
is the same person. And coincidentally, he ended up getting arrested again for uh, a police chase, um, like a month or so later. Mm. So we kind of, I've kind of followed him to see how many times he gets in and out of jail. He's out of jail now because uh, you can't hold somebody a long time for a police chase. So we're just kind of tracking him. And he's never been formally accused or of charged the of the murder of your nope. God's, godson. He has not. And so you would talk about this on the campaign trail? I did. but And I probably shouldn't have because every time I talked about it, I would start crying. So it's hard to go to an endorsement session. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh. <laughs> no, it is. I have to laugh. There was one time I went to... Um, I think CTU, I did it CTU, I did it the, the Trib editorial board, mm-hmm. and I would tell the story and start crying, which is crazy. So in hindsight, it probably wasn't the right time for me to do it. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was still very emotional. Yeah. Um, but you know, when you're feeling that way, you just you just want things to be different. Yeah, and no. And that's just kind of where I was. Yeah, and, and any kind of uh, horrific event like that has like a, what the kid, when the millennia is called triggering event. Yeah. You know, it just triggers something, you know. Yeah. Like if, if at any moment I think, I'm going to not try to think of really sad things in my life because right. I don't want to trigger it right, right now. Right, 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 right. But when you start talking about yeah. it, and yeah, it would trigger uh, it would. that emotion. It would. And yeah. so what a voter's like, oh man, I'm not voting for her. She's a baby. <laughs> She's a crybaby, right. <laughs> Here's a handkerchief. Right. Um, but actually the response was quite the other way. I mean, I did, I came in third out of seven, mm-hmm. um, probably had the least to probably amount of money. Steve Wolf broke the caps um, and came in second to the, the bottom. Yeah. What a joke. Yes. Yeah. Um, but it was just me knocking doors. I had a great team. Um, we were out all day and I was just very passionate and I think people related to like my genuine passion and concern and um, I was very transparent like and I would say if I don't do a good job like kick me out the job right like I'm asking you to put me in give me a try for four years and Mm -hmm. if it's not good then vote me out yeah you know just try to be transparent and uh, by the way, just to let people know, where is this area that you're running? Where is the district roughly? So it's um, the third district. So it encompasses about 14 different wards. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like it's shaped almost like a upside down L. So it's as far west as Pulaski, far east as the lake, um, north as like division and west oh God, is like 75th crazy. street yeah. yeah it's crazy it's a crazy uh the yeah. gerrymandering that has gone on in the city of chicago for automatic races for automatic seats state rep seats uh county board seats is utterly insane yeah. uh it's basically a reaction to demographic changes in the city all right sharice williams is my guest from uh, chicago federation of labor we're talking politics we'll be right back with more with sharice after this Today's Ben Jaromsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Get to know your city on one of Chicago Architecture Center's 65 walking tours. Hear the unforgettable secrets and stories behind Chicago architecture from our expert docents. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a tour right now. Oh, wow. Look at that building. At Chicago Land Cremation Options, we are committed to listening, educating, and guiding your family through the cremation process. Whether it is time of death or when planning your wishes for the future, Chicago Land Cremation Options can accommodate you at an affordable price and with great dignity. Avoid funeral home costs with direct access to a crematory for a cremation. Chicago Land Cremation Options, just south of O'Hare, five minutes west of Chicago. It's a family-owned business and operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Visit it at ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time, Chicago Land Cremation 
Options.com. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Take it away, Benny J. All right, will do. Sharice Williams, Pride and Joy, a pill hill, the Pride and Joy of Mother <laughs> Macaulay. Uh, she re- at the <laughs> Now let me tell you about Mother Macaulay. All right, I uh, my my kids played sports. My daughters played sports, and we go to these cross country meets. And uh, so you know the, the 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 city schools or the public schools mm-hmm. would have like girls teams mm-hmm. I mean, if you're lucky maybe you know 15 20 girls would be running cross country the mother mac bus would pull in <laughs> here comes the army it's like what? they get all these girls Amazing. and there was like those very colorful uniforms yes. they had like yeah. orange or orange, yellowish orange yeah. our colors are red and gold yeah mother like, macaulay yeah. is not joking around I'm like no. god dang there's a lot of Mac- mother macaulay cross yes. country runners yes uh, I thought they. I guess they thought they would win. The more they put in the race, uh, the better the chances. <laughs> uh, anyway, so you were talking about running for uh, Cook County Board of Commissioners. Mm-hmm. Uh, you lost, but Lowry was victorious. Mm-hmm. So the race is over. Uh, we'll yeah. get to. The, we were talking about Lori Lightfoot uh, earlier and Bobby Rush. Uh, do you still have hard feelings? Uh, how long does it take for the hard feelings to dissipate to, to, dis- to vanish? Yeah. Um, so it's not really hard feelings. What what it is is that you have to make a choice to forgive and not necessarily forget, right? One of the hardest, probably the hardest lesson I learned is that the people that I thought would be there and be supportive weren't, right? All of a sudden, they stopped answering my phone calls, and you know, you kind of see who's with you and who's not with you. Um, and I had and I took it personally because I just wasn't prepared for it. And um, luckily, I had some great mentors. Um, Alderman Dow is amazing. Everyone knows I'm Team Dow. And um, unapologetically, unapologetically. And, you know, she was just very straightforward. Like, you can't take this personal. Like, this is what this is, right? This is what we signed up for. So when you say people don't return your calls, uh, were they the ones encouraging you to run? Yeah. So the same people are like, run, 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 run. All of a sudden you're like, okay, I'm running. And then they're like, uh, I'm a, I've called you six times. Is this still your phone number? Why have my text message gone from blue to green? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, so, uh, okay, but, all right, let's get it. Were you asking for money for them? Money or just support or to host. Um, but even to that exchange on the other side, I got a lot of support from people that I just never would have thought about. Right. So people like Alderman Carrie Austin, who's not even wasn't even the district, was a huge supporter of mine. Um, Derek Curtis, like I said. Now how did Carrie Austin? OK, Carrie Austin's legendary South Side Alderman. Mm-hmm. She's been around forever. Her husband, she, her husband was the Alderman. Yep, et yep. uh, how did she find her way to you to support you? I, I reached out to her. I just I knew her from the work that I did with the state treasurer's office. Um, but more than that, I admired her as just a force and in um, knowing Chicago. And I was like, I don't know what to do. I need help. I know you don't touch my district, but people listen to what she says. Mm-hmm. Um, she, along with uh, Bridget Gaynor and Alderman Dow, hosted a women's event for me. 
And not that they had to, right? I mean, again, she did not touch my district, but people listened to her. They listened to both of them. And even though they didn't have to, they didn't, Bridget Gaynor didn't know me. Anna Valencia was a big supporter. Um, just like women who I just hadn't really thought about mm-hmm. came out because of what I was campaigning about, because I wanted to bring the different legislators together. Historically, the commissioners, the aldermen, the state rep, the state senators never shared resources. It's like, just imagine if they actually shared resources, what we could do for the south and west sides of Chicago. So these were things that I was talking about that they agreed with. And, you know, we kind of just all coalesced together at the same time. So it was a it was a very positive experience, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did. It took me a while to not be angry when I saw somebody. I gave a couple people, you know, the heavy eye roll. Um, have you seen some of these people in the aftermath of oh, the election? Yeah. And have they had have they talked to you? Like, uh, why? They pulled me aside and, and, and apologized. And and I appreciate a lot of a lot of the people who didn't support me at least told me up front. Right. So a few of them were like, we need to have lunch. I can't support you. And this is the reason why they at least told me to my face. Yeah, I and I will always respect, respect that. that. Yeah. Yeah. It's the people that said yes. And then somebody made a call to them. And then uh, all of a sudden it was no. And they wouldn't come come forward. And they would and never say, come forward. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So it's those people that you remember. And, I, and, you know, I mean, I saw them because I went to work. My I took a leave of absence and the treasurer was like, I you lost on March 20th. I need you here April 1st. Like, <laughs> that's it. You know, <laughs> get over it, yeah. right? Get over it. Um, you gotta get over. So it. I had to put my big girl panties on really, really fast. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> Terry. We usually Cosgrove, do big boy big pants. pants. <laughs> Terry, you know Terry Cosgrove from uh, uh, Personal Pack. He's yeah. always talking. Ben, put your big boy pants, pants on, on it, <laughs> which is generally trying to get me to do something I want to do. Right, right, and so right. Suddenly, it's like putting your big boy pants on. Why is yeah. that big boy pants? Yeah, and I did. I had to put my big girl panties on. That's what we said. That's my granny used to say. I don't know if that's appropriate. I don't know, man. But it's going. It's out there. Big girl panties. Yeah. Right um, so Mayor Ron, was he a, a force in your race at all? Did people even talk about him? He had nothing to do with it, mm-hmm. honestly. Um, I think he had enough going on. Yeah, he had that problems. Not, right. Own. Yeah. Um, it's but you know again you mentioned like the machine. It's just it's it's so interesting how rhetoric and and terminologies kind of get caught up into everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I would knock doors and they would yell at me about stuff that I had nothing to do with about what's going on in Congress or what's going on with the mayor or and I'm like I'm not running for that. Mm-hmm. You know like I I. And I learned you just have to listen, right? People just want to hear you. They just want to yell at somebody and have somebody listen to them. I had knocked on doors that hadn't been knocked on in 20, 30 years. You know, no one's knocked on their door and you just kind of take it. Yeah. Even though it's not about you. Well, the concept of the machine uh, is, how do I put this? I mean, Tony I represents what's left of the old political machine, which is the Democratic Party that controlled thousands of jobs Mm -hmm. and by virtue of controlling those thousands of jobs by virtue of sort of the pact they had with the big labor groups and the big corporate groups um, was unbeatable. Okay. But that machine has broken down. I mean, there's there's no, there's very few jobs anymore. You know, it's not like uh, Sharice Williams has got like 12, patronage workers <laughs> right, or right. 20 or you right. know <laughs> uh and so uh but it's just it's just like this 
this thing that exists that you can run against, you know, like Rauner was running against the Chicago political. And he himself benefited from the machine. Anyway. Yeah. All right. So you're watching this um, uh, dispute uh, between Bobby Rush yeah. and uh, Lori Lightfoot. You just said that you're mm-hmm. a big uh, fan of Lori Lightfoot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what do you make of this? You know, he said some very contentious things uh, during the race. Yeah. And now reporters are going forth and say, hey, what do you think? Yeah. What, 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 what do you make yeah. of all that? Um, so Congressman Rush is a historical figure all in himself, right? I mean, just what he's been through and what he's fought for and the contributions he's just given to not just black communities, but I just feel like everyone. And I know people say and do things during the campaign they may or may not normally do. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know you know, what Bobby was thinking during all that. I've never talked to him about it. Um, but I think that when things happen or things are said, once the race is over, the people that once were your enemies will one day be your allies, right? And you have to make a choice to be okay with it. The winner and the loser has to make a choice. And holding grudges is is, is toxic, right? And, and it'll be interesting to see uh, mayor-elect Lori on what she does with that because they were coming at her. It was a lot of things people were saying about her that were very, very nasty. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've had the pleasure of, you know, of interacting with her so far just because um, President Ryder is on the transition team. And she's been taking the high road a lot, right? Again, I don't know her. I don't talk to her every day mm-hmm. just from what I've observed. Um, so I think from that standpoint, from her, she'll be able to take the high road. Um, I'm hopeful that Congressman Rush will be able to do the same thing. Um, I understand his passion. You know, none of us have been a Black Panther. Would none of us have gone what he's gone through? He's mm-hmm. coming from a totally different viewpoint than we ever could. Um, I'm hopeful that they both get over it, and the news cycle will find something else to talk about. Yeah, no, the news yeah. cycle will find something else <laughs> yeah. to talk to. But it yeah. was great stuff. It was great, very entertaining. Yeah. We played the uh, the bits today where Lori Leifert goes to uh, Washington, and uh, yep. the uh, Marianne Ahern, I think it was, was the reporter. Report. Was like, mm-hmm. did, did he apologize? Yeah. And he's like, you could t- Bobby Russell. You can read the subtext. I don't apologize. I am not going to apologize. So, but you know, he was saying blah 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 blah, blah right, to get yeah. through it, and uh, uh, they they probably will move on. But it was a very contentious rhetoric. It was over the top, in my humble opinion. It was. Uh, it was really unfair uh, to Lori. I had my issues with Lori Lightfoot, but mm-hmm. um, uh, it was. I thought it was extremely unfair to Lori Lightfoot. Yeah, I mean, I, all, generally, I mean, people were saying a lot of negative things about all of them. Right? I don't think anyone came out of that unscathed. Um, but it's over, you know? And again, I've learned this to heart. I've learned it. You have to get past it. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and to uh, move on to and move get on. ahead. Yep. My guest is Sharice Williams from the Chicago Federation of Labor. We're talking about the ups and downs of running uh, in the city of Chicago. A very difficult place uh, to try to break through. She was unsuccessful in a race for... Uh, the board of, uh, excuse me, board of commissioners, but she's moved on, now works for the Chicago Federation of Labor. John Bauman has entered the studio. We're going to bring him on and broaden the topic to the fair tax. We'll be right back after this. Today's Ben Jaromsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Get to know your city on one of Chicago Architecture Center's 65 walking tours. Hear the unforgettable secrets and stories behind Chicago architecture from our expert docents. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a tour right now. Oh, wow. Look at that building. 
At Chicago Land Cremation Options, we are committed to listening, educating, and guiding your family through the cremation process. Whether it is time of death or when planning your wishes for the future, Chicago Land Cremation Options can accommodate you at an affordable price and with great dignity. Avoid funeral home costs with direct access to a crematory for a cremation. Chicagoland Cremation Options, just south of O'Hare, five minutes west of Chicago. It's a family-owned business and operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Visit it at ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time, ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Mr. Jarofsky, man, take us home. All right, very good. John Bauman has joined us from uh, the Sergeant Schreiber National Center on Poverty Law. Talk, we're going to talk about the fair tax. We're going to take apart the rebuttal to the fair tax proposal that was put out by the Illinois Policy Institute. We talked about it earlier in the show. John Bauman knows more about this stuff than any man alive. Uh, that's a buildup for you. So he's going to take <laughs> it part one by one and the, leave the Illinois Policy Institute quivering under the table. Going, oh, my God, you should have released Bauman on us. But before we do, Sharice, you wanted to say something about workforce yes. development and how important that is? Go ahead. Yes, yeah. So at the Chicago Federation of Labor, we are working on this program uh, that we're calling the Chicago Workforce Hub. Um, it's based on the program Access United that launched out of the United Way about a year and a half ago. And basically what it is is that we're helping increase apprenticeships um, for black and brown people for union apprenticeship programs. So throughout all the apprenticeships, um, there has historically, you know, we it's been kind of hard for us to break in, um, but we're changing that. We have a great team to do that. We've partnered with developers, contractors, um, community-based organizations, and laborers, which has never happened, where all these people have sat at the table and said, yes, we want to increase union trade, mm -hmm. and we want to increase the apprenticeship and um, journeymen for black and brown and women people. That just hasn't happened. Um, everyone's done the work in silo, and so um, we are doing this with the help right now. We're raising money. So we're in the, the begging stage. And so we're getting money from all the different people involved, um, a little bit from the state, but a lot of it, which is, you know, the people involved. So the developers, the contractors, us, and um, to kind of fund this project, there's going to be a lot of building going on throughout Cook County. Um, and what happens a lot is that you drive by a construction site and you don't see anybody that mm -hmm. looks like me. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's not a good thing because they're on the south side or on the west side or they're downtown. And um, the, the average kind of laborer right now is 54, so they're aging out. So you need to fill that pipeline. You mm -hmm. need people to build the buildings. And not even that, you need people to work there. So um, after the buildings are built, it's gonna be thousands of permanent new jobs, of union jobs, of people you know, working and managing this building. So this is some, kind of some, some generational life-changing shit that's actually happening. Yeah. Um, excuse my French again. Mm -hmm. And uh, three times, yeah. And um, <laughs> the Chicago Federation of Labor is, yeah. you know, is working 
to help do this. Um, and our president, Bob Ryder, is amazing. Mm -hmm. So this is something that he and, and uh, Jorge kicked off before Jorge left this initiative, and now we're actually seeing the light. Yeah, my old friend, Bob Ryder. Bob, I know you're listening. Uh, <laughs> you should come in the show every now and then. Uh, don't be a stranger. Hey, Bob. Uh, and uh, <laughs> But uh, I will say this. Uh, I was opponent of the Lincoln Yards uh, development TIF deal. Mm -hmm. uh, everybody knows that. No. Uh, but if I lost. Mm -hmm. Okay, talk about losing, Sharice. <laughs> I lost. Yes, okay, I've been yeah. known to lose. So usually I am on the losing really? side. Okay. I was getting a huge loser. Yeah, the big <laughs> loser in the city of Chicago. But... I remember Lori Lightfoot when when she finally just sort of raised the flag herself mm -hmm. on it and made it clear she wasn't going to fight it and was yeah. going to let it go through. Mm -hmm. She said, "We're going to make sure uh, that minority participation yes. participation is high." Yes. So this is just another level and of it's that. It's another level, and she's been going. She was in D.C. talking about it. She sat with us talking about it. I mean, you know, kudos to Lori for talking about workforce development and making everybody else talk about it too, mm -hmm. right? I mean, we were doing this before Lori um, elect is going to become the mayor. Um, she will be supportive of this and like this particular initiative and we're hoping so far that everyone else will be supportive of this. We're not, we understand the workforce development area has been there for a long time. There's people who have been doing this for a, a while, mm -hmm. but we want to increase the diversity in the union trades. You know, that's a very niche um, thing that needs to happen. And you know, I think I'm biased. I work there, but I think the CFL is a good um, mechanism to help do that. Mm -hmm. Well, let's hope it happens. Yeah. And like I said, if, if God, this is a concession on my part. Uh, if there is that kind of workforce uh, participation that you're talking yeah. about, uh, if these jobs are getting to people who really need them in the community and it's our city tax dollars going to do it, then I, I would say something good came out of yeah. just this handout to these developers. Like, I'm trying to be nice. <laughs> All right, Cherise. Well, we appreciate it. We appreciate it. Trying yeah. to be nice. Uh, so, uh, but we'll be keeping our eye on that and uh, talking about that down the road. Okay. Uh, the whole issue of how you finance uh, big time deals, how you finance government in general, is embedded in the topic I want to talk about with John Bauman, and that is the fair tax. If you're going to have government, if you're going to have big development deals like Lincoln Yards, if you're going to pave your roads, if you're going to have police, if you're going to have firefighters, if you're going to have schools, John Bauman, you have to fund government. And you cannot just <laughs> fund government, expect the poorest people, the uh, most, the, your working people, middle class people to pay at the same rate of wealthiest people. This is my fundamental view. Do you agree with me at that principle, John Bauman? Well, yes, of course I do. And <laughs> let me first yeah. say, uh, congratulate and say thank you to Sharice. Uh, I love that apprenticeship program. We've been working on that for years. Right, right. My colleague, Wendy Pollack, was one of the founders of the Chicago Women in Trade. Yes, yeah, I love Seaway. They're amazing. They are amazing. Of, yep. Getting um, great partner. good, solid union uh, jobs for people of color and women. Yeah, so, great partner. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yes. <laughs> Fair <laughs> Back tax. to you, Ben. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, uh, yeah, there's a good, solid consensus in Illinois about, mm -hmm. uh, you know, pretty much across all the demographics, all the lines, uh, about what people expect from state government, right? They expect health care, human services, education, preschool through college, mm -hmm. and public safety. And in fact, that's 90% of the spending in the general revenue fund. And for years, really for decades, we have not had a revenue system that can support the sort of promises and demands made on the spending side. Uh, 
Uh, so the revenue is we're the most unfair revenue system in America. One of the handful of unfair called regressive, where uh, uh, lower income people pay a greater percentage of their household resources than higher uh, resource people. Mm-hmm. Uh, we 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 fail year in and year out to produce adequate revenue to just pay the bills and keep promises. So we have a huge backlog of of. Uh, unpaid bills and that was a problem before the recession which mm-hmm. turned it into a train wreck and and the uh, budget impasse too um and so what what the fair tax would do is to put into the resources of people doing the government in illinois one of the most basic tools of a smart revenue system which is to have higher rates for people with higher incomes and lower rates for people with lower incomes 33 states and the federal government, we're all familiar with this, use this method. That's how you produce revenue that keeps, uh, that grows naturally and that uh, keeps pace with the cost of living increases and so on on, on the spending side. Um, all of the income growth in America for three decades now has been concentrated in the very top stratum of the economic specter. You know, the highest earners get all the income growth. Middle income's been stagnant, lower and poorer, getting poorer. And so if you want to, however you feel about that, if you want to just capture the natural growth in the economy with your revenue system, mm-hmm. you charge a higher rate that yeah. people can afford it. On the moral side of it, we're in a crisis. So it's eminently fair to ask people to help us get out of a crisis uh, with some reasonable relationship to their ability to chip in and do it. Um, and so... The, uh, what, what, what the fair tax would do is to amend the Illinois Constitution, mm-hmm. which is another story. Yeah. Uh, our Constitution, for some reason, provides that uh, if we have an income tax, it has to be the same rate for everybody. So we call that the flat tax. Yeah. That's what we've got now. So we need to amend the Constitution to just eliminate that and say, you can have an income tax, mm-hmm. right? And then you leave it up to the political process to, to establish what that'll be. Um, by having it in the Constitution, you basically rig the system so that the people benefiting the most from it uh, don't have to come in there and win the political argument. They yeah. don't, they, right? They're guaranteed uh, to continue to benefit from this system in an unfair way. And it's really a small handful of people. Um, the, the proposal from uh, Governor Pritzker that has now been passed by the Illinois Senate would, uh, and essentially it's a bill that says, if we amend the constitution, here's the system we'll put in place. Mm-hmm. You know, it would raise $3.4 billion of desperately needed money to balance the budget. And then it would, uh, for 97% of taxpayers in Illinois, they would pay either the same or just a little bit less. Right, so it's not big tax relief, but it's the same or less for 97%. And so the 3% mm-hmm. would produce the $3.4 billion. Mm-hmm. The increase, the group that gets the, an increase in their tax rate starts at $250,000 of taxable income a year. So anybody, uh, you guys, raise your hand if you're going to be paying higher. Goes into, <laughs> Uh, definitely you know, not in this room. You, and listen, you can. Go, I was looking at, we have some fact sheets county by county. Yeah. In Lake County, for example, uh-huh. um, where uh, the, the representatives are a little nervous about this, 
Mm-hmm. Um, 98% mm-hmm. would uh, not have an increase and would get a small decrease. And there are 54 millionaires mm-hmm. in that whole county. I'm meaning people with a yearly income of a million or more, which is the highest tax bracket under this plan. Mm-hmm. And that high tax bracket, by the way, compares equally with both Wisconsin and, uh, and Iowa. So it not, this is a change in Illinois that would bring us into the mainstream. Which is, yeah. We're an outlier now. We're like a laughingstock. We're a joke on yeah. late night TV, the Illinois finances. And the opponents of this are saying that if you do this, you'll drive business away. And it's exactly the opposite, right? The, the fact that we're so uh, unable to pay the bills to maintain our, our university system and our colleges mm-hmm. uh, and to, you know, to, to maintain the basic fun, uh, uh, functions of government is a thing that drives businesses away. You don't think an Amazon, for example, looks at Illinois and says, geez, we don't know what the, you know, we don't know what it's going to be like. They may raise taxes. They may not. Who knows? What businesses need is the ability to plan. They need stability and predictability. And if you look, you can Google it, business climate factors, Mm -hmm. right? And right at the top of the list is predictability and stability, right? You've got high taxes uh, relatively in New York, California, Minnesota. They have the best economies in the country, mm-hmm. right? Because business people can plan. They can deal with that if they can plan. Oh, I've always believed that this was a total canard, a total made-up issue, this notion that a higher tax is going to scare off a business. First of all, I don't want to go down this tangent, but businesses have fleets of accountants whose sole job in life right. is to find the little crevice in the law that they could duck into yeah, to get a tax break. So this weeping over the taxing of businesses and corporations, John Bauman, is the most made-up issue right up there with the alternate prerogative. <laughs> I can have a list of made-up issues that we So I, I agree with you 100% that this notion that somehow or other uh, trying to get wealthier people to pay a greater rate uh, they've is uh, so fundamental to our our system and that this issue that it would create instability in the business climate is a made-up issue but I want to get back at something that you said and I find this really interesting you said uh, it in the Constitution the state Constitution the flat rate uh, is mandated by the uh, and uh, you said for some reason I wrote that down um, the <laughs> opponents I, I saw that they had this commercial I'm not making this up or this pitch John where they alluded to the phrase Framers of the state. I had a laugh when I heard that. The framers, <laughs> like it was, you know, John Hancock and Thomas right. Jefferson were sitting around. It was like Michael Madigan and Richie Daly, but whatever. Those are the framers. Because the with the pedal pushers and the buckles on their shoes. And yeah, the it was 1970. Right. Yeah, right. With them. So it was 1970. Our Constitution only goes back to 1970, but whatever. Uh, they're saying, like, well, like the framers really thought about this a great deal. Do you have an explanation for why our framers uh, was you know arrived at a flat tax? Was it a compromise or what was? Yeah, uh, I don't have the specifics. There's history books on this, uh, and people who could come in here and give you that. But but I do know this: it was sausage making. Right? Yeah, it was part of a it was part of a compromise with, with a push and pull, and and. <laughs> The, the, the fact is that the income tax replaced an onerous property tax. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the concession was, okay, we'll give you the income tax, but it has to be a flat rate. And, and it'll replace this, uh, this heavy sort of state-imposed 
property tax, which is how state government had predominantly been supported mm-hmm. uh, previously. Uh, that's my understanding of it. But, uh, I mean, the, uh, it was a deal. Yeah, they cut like it. Other it was politicians cut the deal. And you don't always <laughs> get the best uh, policy uh, conversation in that, in that atmosphere, um, especially when it gets down to the end and you got to, you know, you, you win some and you lose some. And so there's nothing magic about this just because it's in the Constitution. Yeah. Right? We've got now 50 years of learning, uh-huh. and we know damn well that this income tax doesn't get it you know it makes us an outlier it's unfair it's inadequate and it's stupid yeah it doesn't capture the revenue growth right yeah no that's the point that you just made and go back to that one uh the fact that the, the greatest growth uh in the state is untaxed that the, right. the wealthiest people uh it, when we have a system in, in, in equity uh the wealthier people are making more and more money all the time and we're not get, reaping what, the benefits of that what, what tax wonks will tell you is that one of the hallmarks of a smart ta- uh tax method Mm -hmm. is one that grows naturally so that it can keep pace with the cost of living and population growth on the spending side, basically hand in hand so you don't have a structural deficit, right? So they don't grow apart every year with one increasing faster than the other, Mm -hmm. right? So if income growth is concentrated in those top brackets and that's where the economy grows naturally without changing rates, without doing anything, uh, then that's where you should target Revenue needs to be fair, Mm -hmm. and the rates that are in the governor's proposal are totally fair to the higher-income people because they compare with our neighboring states. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're lower than Minnesota and uh, California and New York. Uh, So, um, uh, you know, this is just—so it's fairer, Mm -hmm. it's more adequate, it's smarter, and it's desperately needed, right? Well, and uh, it's also uh, inspired a counterinsurgency, if you will, uh, which is an interesting counterinsurgency, uh, great uh, reluctance uh, to change the Constitution's direction. Dee, do you have the, uh, the letter that we were doing, uh, we were reading from before? I'd love to get John's uh, response to some of the provisions. I know you're searching for it. It was uh, Absolutely. Okay. Uh, why don't you have it in front of you? Yep. All right. Why don't you read the first... Uh, stipulation that they make with the bullet point, and then we'll see what John. This is again, this is the letter we were talking about this earlier. The Illinois Policy Institute uh, collected a group of single, I don't know, mayors, I don't know who they are, and I don't have it in front of me. Uh, people who are against uh, the uh, fair tax proposal of uh, Pritzker and the Democrats. And uh, here's their first reason, the, the first bullet point. All right, it says here the state's flat income tax is one of the few remaining competitive advantages in Illinois. It must be preserved. <laughs> okay, there you must go. Must be. <laughs> Um, well, that kind of captures the the Illinois Policy Institute, right? It's it's um, they're sort of anti, they're small government, sort of anti-tax ideological shop, right? Yeah, I so would take sort of out of that sentence. It, it's um, so it's I, I envy them a little bit because they don't have to try to solve problems. They got the same answer to every question. Uh, but to get to the point, um, we already talked about it. The top thing that businesses want and need is stability and predictability. The second most important thing on most lists is an educated workforce, which we're dismantling because of our inadequate state funding, not just for K through 12 or preschool through 12, but for our universities, right? You got Western Illinois about to shut down. Um, and so 
I, I just think that's uh, sort of rhetoric that comes from an ideological source uh, that isn't, I, I don't think it, it holds up under scrutiny. What's the second point? All right, we're going through the Illinois Policy Institute's uh, list of reasons here to uh, have J.B. Pritzker not go through with the tax plan here. It says efforts to pass a progressive income tax in Illinois are driven by Illinois' budget crisis, but tax hikes cannot save Illinois. Our state has a spending problem that has ruined the state's finances and sunk the economy. Spending must be addressed before Illinoisans are asked to sacrifice even more. All right, John. So, uh, you know, there's layers of of issues here, but uh, first of all... (laughs) Um, I agree with you 100%. First of all, the, the, the Illinois economy is pretty good. Yeah. It, it's, a, it's a diverse, thriving economy. Uh, it could be better. I agree that the state budget crisis has hurt uh, the, the economy to some extent. Um, we lost 25,000 jobs during the budget impasse, yeah. uh, you know, uh, supported by government. The Policy Institute would say those aren't real jobs. I would say those, those are real paychecks spent in real stores. <laughs> I and, don't know. You know I, I uh, guess they only would say that because they're not the ones employed but by those jobs, but whatever. But yeah. in any event, um, <laughs> it, the, the main point is the crisis is not a spending problem. Illinois is around sort of 30th in the nation. They're very middling, a little below middle in uh, the, the sort of measures of state spending per household or uh, our state government workforce is among the lowest in the whole country. We've hollowed out state government. Um, So, and and those programs I mentioned that are supported by the general revenue fund uh, that account for 90% of the spending there are, are, all of them almost are underfunded. They're desperate. We've cut way into the bone. Uh, There's unpaid bills you know, and these are the things after-school programs, anti-violence programs, health care programs, counseling programs, drug and alcohol treatment programs, the things that you wonder why we have a spike in violence. And, you know, this is stuff is not in separate silos. This all matters. It's not just about business. Yeah. But it is about business, too. Yeah, it is about business, too. And by the way, I'd just like to point out that some of the same forces who are opposing Governor Pritzker uh, on this initiative to have a fair tax are the same forces that are waving the flag when we dip into the pie to fund something like oh, oh uh, Lincoln Yards that I just alluded to, to right. fund something like the big, uh, humongous development deal that they're proposing for the South Loop right now. So they love it. to sp- When they talk about right. the spending side, they love it when you're spending it on them, okay? But when you spend it on somebody, not them, not in their country club, then they're not so happy by that. One of the most important things we can do to improve the business climate is to stabilize the state financial picture and to be a reliable partner in all the things government does that businesses rely on, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and so um, I guess uh, that deals with that bullet point. Yeah, no, well, the, <laughs> the bullet points. Uh, let's go one more bullet point. You got, uh, you I, I've the, got yeah. one. There's one about property taxes. Oh, talk, talk about the about bullet point of property taxes. Um, you know, so Illinois does have high property taxes. Mm-hmm. And... The irony here is that this is cited as a reason not to improve the state income tax. And because the reality is, is that the relationship between them is inverse, right? If you have inadequate state funding, you put pressure on localities. If they want something done, they have to raise the money locally. That's the property tax, right? So I've got a few numbers here. Go ahead. Uh, Illinois is 50th. So count, count up. 
How many states are there? <laughs> They're 50th in the nation. Oh, Jesus, the I just did the math. That's state, bad. Yeah. <laughs> state source supporting for education. Yeah. We support less than a quarter, 24.9% of education spending is state source spending in Illinois. The Look at Minnesota, 66.7%. Uh, Michigan, 60.2%. Indiana, 56.1%. Iowa, 53.5, Wisconsin, Missouri, et cetera. What's Illinois' rating, did you say? 24 24%. So, folks, just so you understand, what you're saying, what he's saying is that the state supports roughly 25% of the education expenses right. uh, in, the, in uh, public schools, which is half, uh, then at least half of the rates of yeah. all the surrounding states. So, you got to pay for your schools, people. You wonder why property taxes are high. And... And then we can flip that around and say, okay, property taxes provide a greater share of education funding in Illinois than in any other state, a whopping 58%, okay? 58%. The national average Mm -hmm. is 36.4, right? So we're over-relying on the property tax. Therefore, it's higher than it needs to be or should be. The way to relieve pressure on the property tax is to improve the state revenue system so the state can step up the way it should. Um, I mean, I can go on with yeah, these numbers. They're a little numbing. but uh, That is such a, a, a fundamentally uh, basic point, John. Uh, and yet I have a fear that it's going to be lost uh, in just the general rhetoric that emerges uh, uh, in the anti-tax uh, fervor uh, that are, is being you know, put forth by a very well-funded group of yeah. powerful inside players. And um, so we're getting out of the political question, and this is a topic that comes up all the time on this show, uh, to get this fair tax approved. It's going to take, first of all, they still have to get the proposal through the House. It's only been through the Senate. So you, you got to get a uh, 60% vote in the House. Uh, on the constitutional. On the constitutional, just to right. get it on the ballot. So the right. voters get, and then you need 60% of the voters uh, right. to approve it. Um, so this battle is an attempt uh, by the forces to prevent the house i think that's step one to prevent the house uh from passing what, right. what are the odds so it's a it's a two-step process right so the senate and the house have to pass the resolution that has the constitutional amendment and remember that resolution just takes out the flat tax requirement doesn't do anything else yeah very clean um it has passed the senate with with uh the 60% majority, and in the House uh, is now pending. That debate is happening right now. Uh, They need 71 votes to get 60%. The Democratic caucus has 74. The Republicans have said they won't put a single vote on it. Um, And so that's their position. Um, And I think a lot of that point of the compass is the signatures on the Policy Institute's letters. Um, the, uh, so of the 74 in this house, uh, there are several who are nervous and it's not quite clear the roll call's there yet. Mm-hmm. The speaker of the house, Mike Madigan has said that he supports this, uh, but we need to work on putting the roll call together. So mm-hmm. read that as, as you will. Um, 
the governor is strongly in support of it and has a, a lot of resources, which is what's different this time. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but there's so this property tax point is important because there were two uh, uh, representative Yingling, I think, from Lake County. And uh, I'm going to forget the other name now. I don't have it in front of me from Northbrook, basically, mm-hmm. who are saying basically expressing nervousness about doing this vote yeah. unless there's property tax relief. Right. And and that's the irony, right, is that just doing this at all is property tax. It doesn't reduce property taxes, but it redu- relieves the pressure on them, yeah. right? And it, it, it makes it possible to resist more increases going forward uh, with adequate education funding. So there's a debate going on about... Uh, the details of uh, this this tax plan. Remember, I described the tax plan about where the brackets would be and all that. That's all contingent on whether the Constitution gets amended, right? So there's a provision in those bills that's saying this only takes effect if the Constitution is amended exactly. in 2020. Yeah. Um, so the second step, if the resolution passes, and that work needs to be done this very month. Um, is to it's on the ballot in 2020 right there with Trump um, and the uh, you need 60 percent of the people voting on the measure to say yes or 50 percent of everybody voting in the election whether they vote on the measure or not to say yes yeah. and then it becomes it, it amends the Constitution and at, at that point these this different tax system can take effect. All right. Well, the, the, the next stage, and we'll be watching it closely, is that vote uh, in the House. And this is what they call a profile and courage moment uh, for politicians. Uh, if you were right. a kid, you read Profiles and Courage by uh, John F. Kennedy, where he right. did the biographies of legislation. He actually didn't even write the book, but whatever. That's the second point. <laughs> uh, and I think Ted Sorensen wrote it. Anyway, it's uh, biographies of courageous politicians who did the right thing. Uh, even though it meant that they were probably defeated or they could be defeated when they ran for re-election. I guess that is the definition of courage in the political sector. Uh, sector excuse me. So, um, yeah, this will be very interesting to see uh, whether they get the 71 votes in the House, John, because you know as well as I, he's been around a while. Uh, Michael Madigan does not like forcing his caucus members to take votes that would get them in trouble when they come up for re-election. That's what he's all about. That's his chief ideology, if a thing is an ideology. So it'll be interesting to see if J.B. Pritzker can kind of cushion the blow, uh, whatever way is necessary, to get some of these state reps, enough of them, the Democrats, uh, to vote on. And I'll just point out this irony. The tax, the first income tax in the state of Illinois uh, was the product of a Republican his name was Richard Ogilvy. This is how old I am. Sure. I know who Richard yeah. Ogilvy is. You may know who Richard Ogilvy is as well. I find it really interesting and ironic. The state of Illinois that produced Republicans like Ogilvy and Abraham Lincoln cannot find one, one Republican that will sign on uh, to raising the rates on the richest people in the state of Illinois. Yeah, or Everett Dirksen, who helped put civil rights uh, bills over the top in the the you know Lyndon Johnson era, yeah, um, Chuck just to, who, willing to work with you on solving problems. Yeah, 
And yeah, it's called the devolution of the Republican Party and uh, John Bauman. That's probably a conversation for another time. Uh, I'm definitely going to bring you back to talk about this issue uh, as time goes on. You got an update for me, Dean? We've got a few updates before we roll out of here. Uh, First off, uh, the big news today nationally. It looks like uh, the Republican-led Senate Intelligence Committee decided to issue a subpoena for Donald Trump Jr. today. I saw that, yeah. Big news, big news. Uh, Donald Trump has responded. He's defending his son here. The following comes from President Donald Trump. My son is a good person. He works very hard. (laughs) The last thing he needs is Washington, D.C., Trump said. I think he'd rather not uh, ever be involved. He's now testified for 20 hours or something. A massive amount of time. Yeah, we'll be talking about this one tomorrow, yeah. All right, we have some uh, 2020 candidate updates uh, here. First off, Mayor Pete, Pete Buttigieg. Mm-hmm. He uh, was interviewed today. Buttigieg was asked about his support among black voters following a rally in Los Angeles today with unions representing teachers and carpenters. Buttigieg pointed out he succeeded in the racially diverse city of South Bend, where he was elected mayor in 2011, and then spoke further. Let's hear from Mayor Pete. All right. Or maybe not. I have quote. I have the quote here. He says, quote, the black voters who know me best have returned me to office with an overwhelming margin. We've made sure that we're building a staff that reflects not only the diversity of the party, but the increasing diversity of my generation. Mm. And mm-hmm. one more 2020 possible candidate update. Ben, you got that list, your cheat sheet. My cheat sheet right here. All right, you may have to add one more, put some question marks on it here. We're still waiting, by the way, for last week's update. Bill de Blasio. Oh, yeah, nothing, Mayor of New York. Nothing yeah. from de Blasio okay. yet, but a name that you want to put on here. Like I said, put some question marks on it here. Stacey Abrams. Is that right? Yeah, Stacey Abrams. She's thinking about running? The former gubernatorial candidate in Georgia said today she's weighing a presidential bid after ruling out a run for U.S. Senate. I think I have some audio here. Let's hear it. But it has been reported that uh, you, while not running for Senate, are still still potentially considering uh, joining the uh, ever-growing Democratic presidential field. Um, Is that true? Yes. Oh. All right, Stacey. I, uh, Etan Thomas. A very economic speech. Yeah, <laughs> I'd like a concise politician. Uh, Etan Thomas, uh, the political activist, had, had proposed uh, that Stacey Abrams and Joe Biden ticket, uh, with Joe Biden at the top, Stacey Abrams, the vice president. So uh, maybe that ultimately is what she's heading for. I just want to uh, quash any rumors. been a lot of rumors circulating that among the people considering running uh, for president is John Bauman of the Sergeant Shriver Center. He's uh, definitively announced that you will not be seeking the presidency. And if elected, I won't say. <laughs> okay. If elected, it'll ask the country to have its head examined. Uh, anyway, all right, very good with the updates. Uh, Dennis, John, thanks so much for coming in. And also yeah. find yeah. us on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Where's at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show, Benny J Show, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Find us on the Ben Jarofsky Show. Check out that video Ben made last night. <laughs> uh, yeah, I probably had a few to drink before I did that. But all right, John uh, Bauman, thank you very much. Sharice Williams did a great job. And, of course, the man, myth, the legend behind the board, Pride and Joy Bolton and Loy. They call him White Lightning. The ladies all love him for his body and his mind. Dr. D, give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. All right. (laughs) And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader website, chicagoreader.com, chicago.suntimes.com slash Jarofsky. 
find us you know, all the downloaded shows we've been on since february a lot of shows if you're new to the program a lot to catch up on and we do live stream the program tuesdays through fridays one until 3 p.m central time and we go a little over sometimes like we just did today it's a podcast you can do that once again both chicago sun times chicago reader website chicago.suntimes.com chicagoreader.com see you tomorrow